All right, welcome to Films from the Phantom Zone, your podcast about failed and forgotten comic book movies, where we watch an old superhero movie and we decide, should this exist or does it belong in the Phantom Zone to be forgotten forever? Forever. Yes. <laughs> my name's Arnaldo. Uh, I am your host and I'm joined as always, my good friend. Birdo. How's it going, guys? So, uh, Birdo, what movie are we doing today? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. From 1990, yeah. This is the original movie, the one with the cool suits. The, the, yeah, the Henson the puppets, suits. Yeah, the Jim Henson suits. I don't know. I feel like this movie is fairly well I known, right? I think this was also... It is. It's hard for me to tell because this is a staple of my childhood. I should just say right off the top. Yeah, you, I think, are way more excited about this than I am. Uh-huh. This is your idea, first of all. Yeah, because <laughs> it kind of fit in with the whole like Daredevil Electra thing we had going. Yeah. Ninjas. For sure. When I was watching this, though, I think I, as a child, remember the second movie more than this one. Because when I was watching this, I was like, I don't remember any of this. Oh, really? I remember Casey Jones, and that's about it. You watched the second one a lot? I watched the second one. The second one was the one with Vanilla Ice, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think I watched the second one a little bit more than this one, honestly, as a kid. Because it's a little bit more kid-friendly. Yeah, this one was a little bit on the darker side. Yeah. Sometimes, literally. (laughs) true to the comics. Yeah. Have you read the comics? A little bit, very, very I read little bit. The first issue, and I wanted to read some more, but I found a place online where they're free. The comics are uh, <laughs> really edgy. I thought it was really good. I read the first issue; I liked it, but it's not what I'm used to, right? No, nothing like the cartoon. Nothing like even this movie, which probably follows the source material more than the cartoon does, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to get into it, but I feel like it's it's a nice kind of marriage of the two sources here. This movie is available on HBO Max, and thank God. It's nice to like get back to a movie that's like, hey, if you want to watch it, you here, can just go watch it. <laughs> and if you want to be a part of this podcast, you want to like follow along what we're saying, you can watch the movie. It's it's nicely available. All three of these movies are available on HBO Max. We kind of jump to this one from sometimes we do that. We'll like pick a similarity between two movies, like two franchises, yeah. and we use that as a jumping off point. So we picked the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles basically because they were originally intended as a parody of Daredevil. They even share the same origin as Daredevil. Exactly. So I thought before we get started, usually we talk about like the characters and the source material towards the later part of the episode. I kind of want to like in case anyone lives under a rock (laughs) for the last... 30 like five years they're, i mean they're not Who as the... popular as they used to be so and it depends on where you when you grew up yeah i'm really curious if i were to like talk to like gen zers i'm like what do you know about the teenage mutant ninja turtles probably, even though they've never been like out of production probably whatever like cartoon is currently on nickelodeon exactly so if you've lived under a rock <laughs> again like for the last 35 years the teenage mutant ninja turtles that's the other thing. They're exactly what the title says. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? <laughs> they're made up of four characters. Named after Italian Renaissance artists. Well, they're not all Italian, but uh, Renaissance, Renaissance masters, artists. Renaissance yeah. artists. So there is Leonardo. He is the one who wears a blue uh, headband. It's not really a headband. There's a name for those. The mask over your face. Uh, just like just over your eyes. Is it a domino mask? It's not because a domino mask just goes on like this. This is like a full thing you tie behind you. I don't... Hmm. There has to be a name for it, but anyway. Headband masks. Right. (laughs) So in blue, we have Leonardo. He is the leader. Brave, bold, kind of no-nonsense. And he uses katana swords. Yeah. Uh, After him, you have Raphael. And he's cool but rude. 
I was about to say, yeah, I was going <laughs> to default to like what the cartoon uh, says about them. Yeah, cool, but rude. So he's more angry, also no nonsense. A bit edgy. Super edgy. Usually kind of like he's got the New York stereotype, right? Tough guy, huh? Yeah. He wears red and has the size, like Electra. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Although I think he, he might predate that. Eh, he might predate. They might Electra. predate Electra, actually. In orange, we have Michelangelo. He's a party dude. He's the party dude. <laughs> He's the funny one, the comic relief. He is the character for whatever reason. When you, sometimes when you introduce a comic relief, especially with the intent of being the comic relief, it might fall flat. Like yeah. might, you might have like a Jar Jar Binks on your hands where it's Ugh. it's cringy humor. It just doesn't land. It feels forced, and for whatever reason, tribute to like the people who write this character. In every iteration of the Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo is always hilarious. He's always been my favorite. Yeah, he always works. Like, all of them are funny. He uses the nunchucks. He uses the nunchucks. Or nunchucks. 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 If we're pronouncing it wrong, let us know. Listen, this is not our area of expertise. And then in purple is Donatello. He's the nerd, the smart one. How does the cartoon describe him? He makes machines. I think is what he says. Donatello makes machines. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that isn't... He's the gadget one. He's like reverse yeah, engineering things guy. that, you know, they find on the dump. And he uses a bow staff. Yep. He's also quite funny, but his jokes usually don't land as much because he's kind of the awkward nerdy one. Yeah. He has like sarcastic remarks and stuff like that mm-hmm. pretty often. And he bounces off Michelangelo really well. Yes. So as a duo, those two are usually the ones paired up for like comedic effect whereas the other two are Leonardo more and Raphael, they're always sulking they're always headbutting right <laughs> yeah they're led by their adoptive father master splinter who is an anthropomorphic mutated rat <laughs> but he's also the archetype of like the uh like the sensei yes right so would and, he be like old man mutant rat <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and then oftentimes you know they've got a couple they don't have a huge like array of common villains, but the Shredder is like number one. Shredder, and then sometimes like Krang, Baxter Stockman. Yeah, Bebop, Rocksteady. Bebop, Rocksteady. Rocksteady. I almost forgot about them. Cool. With that in mind, introductions in order. Let's get into this movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. There are time codes in the description. If you want to jump around, we do. We go through the plot. We get into an analysis section. We talk about the source material. We talk about what we thought about this movie as a whole. Uh, And then we do my favorite segment, Keep or Cancel, where we pick probably the most famous person in this movie. We talk about them. We decide if we're going to keep them or cancel them. Uh, In this movie, we're going to do... Shit, what's his name? Okay. Sam Rockwell. We're going to do Sam Rockwell. (laughs) Who does he play? He's just like a a teenager. That's Sam Rockwell? Yeah, that was Sam Rockwell. He has like Uh, three lines. He's barely in this movie, but he has... By far the most famous person. Justin Hammer himself? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and also before we get started, the movie in general, we stream on Twitch us recording the podcast. So if you want to be a part of the podcast, if you're a fan, if you listen and you're like, I got nothing to do on Mondays, I want to be a part of this. Hey, you can come on Twitch, watch us record, hang out in the chat. Cool. So let's get into it. Initial expectations. Do you want to get started? Sure. I thought I saw this movie as a kid. I might not have, and I might have just seen the second one, like I said before. Mm-hmm. So I thought I knew what to expect, but then as I was watching, I was like, oh, shit, I think this is a new movie to me. 
So really, yeah. So you kind of went in with fresh eyes. Yeah, on that's like, pretty cool. Unknowingly, but yeah. yeah, that's happened. <laughs> I we did that with like uh, what was it? LXG. We're like halfway through the movie. I was like, wait a second. I thought this was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting that you said like you're going in with fresh eyes here because like I couldn't imagine a scenario where i've never seen this before i've seen this movie maybe a hundred times and then that's like yeah. i think i just only saw like part two and three well i've only seen three maybe two times as a kid i remember not really liking that one. i didn't it was my least favorite i watched these two one and two i watched a lot okay three i barely touched so two was probably on tv more often than the first one which is probably, probably where i saw it yeah you're probably right so for me i just want to paint a picture it is the year is probably like 1992 I live in Puerto Rico. I don't speak English. And I am in love with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was like all I watched. All right. Probably in Spanish, I would imagine, because I didn't speak English. So <laughs> I actually put on an episode of the TV show. And I'm like, I sort of remember parts of this. It's weird because I remember watching it, but I don't remember any of the plots. I don't remember any of the stories because I was just that little. You know what I mean? I'm in a similar boat when it comes to the cartoon because I definitely yeah. remember like I owned like VHSs that had definitely. multiple episodes yep. on it and stuff. Same. I don't remember what happened. Yeah. Before five years old, it's hard to like really kind of remember things solidly. But I remember the toys that I had like vividly. I remember this movie because I watched it a ton and, and the next movie. But this is just kind of like the first thing I was ever a fan of, like truly a fan of, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. And I was like four years old in Puerto Rico. There's no way I watched this movie in, in Spanish. So this and the next movie might have been like one of the first bits of like English media like I was culture. consuming. Yeah. I was, when I say I was like a fan of the Ninja Turtles as a kid, like I'm not kidding. I had a lot of shit. <laughs> A lot of memorabilia, a lot of the little shoes with the little, like, the guys on the side, you know, <laughs> all of that. Backpacks, you name it. So, this movie in particular, I, again, I'd seen a lot as a kid, but I've seen it as an adult also. And we watched it about a year ago, like, during COVID lockdown. So, I'm, I'm very, like, familiar with it. Right. I knew what to expect. No big surprises here for me. Okay. Plot, you ready? Yeah, let's all go. Right, let's so we open on the New York skyline, accented with World Trade Center's Twin Towers. A news yeah. report. Yeah, yeah, it's 1990. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's always fun. Maybe fun's not the word. Uh, <laughs> it's always interesting to like put on a movie that takes place before and they show the New York skyline. You see them. Yeah. And they stand out more now, obviously, because, you know, they're missing. And there's people alive right now that have no idea what the New York skyline looked like back then, which is weird to think about. Surely they teach this in schools. <laughs> I mean, I lived yeah, like we lived it, it yeah. but like I mean, surely now it's in like textbooks, right? I'm sure it is. It has to. <laughs> There's no way it's not. Yeah. There's no. I'd be interested in like reading like what they say in the textbooks. Yeah, because you know, like revisionist history and whatever. Like, right? What What does the textbook say exactly? But anyway, <laughs> a news report by April O'Neil plays with her describing a rise in crime that plagues a city. We see pickpocketing, the emptying of a truck, and a lady's television stolen without anyone noticing. No description of the culprits have been reported because there haven't been any witnesses. April suggests that this must be a coordinated effort by a new crime organization. She complains that the mayor and the chief of police do not take these theories seriously. Then we get a montage of... No, that um, was the montage. Yeah, the, yeah, well, all that. Kids stealing things. Basically, teenagers being little shits. Well, because they're, they're part of the foot. Yeah. yeah. I really like a lot of this 
uh <laughs> montage it's just a, such a good way of kind of bringing you into the story quickly you know because this is not a long movie at all no it's an hour and a half it's super brisk and i think my chief complaint about this movie is that it's too short it needs honest. to be maybe like 20 minutes longer I could, would... I could really go with an extra like 20 30 minutes at least you know a good two hour film the movie doesn't feel rushed it just feels like i could i could get more you know it, what i mean like it, there's they left some yeah. on the table the ending feels a little bit abrupt maybe yeah let's we'll get to it yeah. obviously but uh <laughs> there's some really good i think filmmaking here because there's that shot with the truck it's all in one take. The camera is on the back of a truck because they're stealing like electronics, right? Yeah. Back of a truck. The guy's unloading it. The camera follows the guy seamlessly. It comes back to the truck. The truck is empty now. You know, the implication is like it would take a band of ninjas to steal all of this yep. stuff, which is exactly what it is. But, you know, the movie is informing and you. And the guy's like, uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, how do they do that? And it's probably like a couple boxes that are like glued together in a way that it implies the whole truck is full, and they can very easily just like move those empty boxes out yeah, of the way. It's done in like one shot. It was. It's one shot. Panning over. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's a very creative way of like actually impressing the viewer. I mean, yeah. like, oh, ninjas! It's fucking ninjas. How else can they steal so many like like so much <laughs> electronics so quickly, right? Yeah. April leaves her news station in a yellow raincoat. That's only important because she wears yellow. She wears a yellow like jumpsuit jumpsuit in the cartoon it's an easter egg people (laughs) she is frightened into an alley by a rat and encounters a robbery in progress the criminals move to attack her when a street the street lights are suddenly broken and a fight ensues in the dark sounds of weapons and punches are heard and when the police arrive to light the scene the criminals are tied up and april is safe april sees a sigh left behind and quickly hides it in her purse Raphael looks on from the shadows because that's his sigh. It's a sigh. Yeah, the sigh is the weapon of Raphael. We mentioned that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck. All right. If you live in New York City, you're not going to be that scared of a rat. If you live in New York City, you see a rat on a daily basis. I mean, you think? <laughs> I visited there for a couple days. And you I saw can't... rats? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't see a rat. I've been <laughs> in New York a couple times. Especially in the subways. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. This is pizza rat. You seen pizza rat? I haven't seen Pizza Rat. You've never seen Pizza Rat? No. There's a viral video that um, from a couple years ago of a rat pulling a full slice of New York pizzas, so like the big ones, up the stairs of a subway. And they have him on video. They just <laughs> recorded him, and he's pulling an entire slice of pizza. He's taking it to it's, the turtles. Yeah, and it's like the most <laughs> New York thing ever. Yeah. And that's why it went viral. You got to look up Pizza Rat, man. Come on. I can't believe I haven't seen that. I'm so surprised. You're usually really tuned in on pop culture. I, I, usually. <laughs> no, I, yeah, and I really like this because, again, they're supposed to be ninjas. And what the first thing ninjas are are, like, stealthy. Yeah. You know, so it's cool that, you know. They we, literally th- this do is this their in lo- the shadows. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. cool. This is their introduction. We meet the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles while they celebrate their victory walking the storm drainage system, not the sewers. So I'm going to stop right there. I just want to make something clear. <laughs> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles don't live in the sewers. They live in the storm drainage systems. A right. sewer is where sewage goes through. Yeah, that's like shit. So your shit water from your toilets <laughs> yeah. and your drains and all that stuff, right? Yeah. It would be fucking disgusting if anybody lived down there, even turtles. Yeah, uh, sometimes a wall of water comes and you got to take off your clothes and hold it up to the ceiling so you don't get wet. What's that from? Always oh, Sunny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Charlie travels <laughs> in the sewers. In the sewers. <laughs> yeah. But people colloquially call it sewers when they're actually 
probably stormwater drains. Yeah. So it's not as gross. It's still m- gross. It, I mean, it's as dirty as like the street is. You know what I mean? It's where water goes after it rains, but it's clean, clean. A little bit dirtier than the streets. Sure. But it's not sewage, right? Right. But when people see like underwater tunnels, they're going to call or underground tunnels or water sewers. They call them sewers. Yeah. But they're it's it's not a sewer. I just want to point that out. They also uh, travel through like uh, subway tunnels, abandoned subway places and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, they go back and forth workshopping cool words and one-liners for a job well done. <laughs> Upon arriving back at their abandoned subway station home, Master Splinter insists they meditate on their first outing and lectures them on how they should carry themselves after Splinter's death. But Michelangelo is already ordering pizza and playing tequila. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) He lectures an angry Raphael that he must let go of the sigh he lost. Michelangelo and Donatello scare the pizza delivery guy and Raphael leaves to see a movie. So I just love that it's... Again, this movie's short. They have to do everything pretty quickly, but they can very quickly like establish who these characters are by Splinter trying to tell them, think about, you know, let's meditate on this, you know, victory that and you guys had. And then the way had. they all react to that. Yeah. No. And meanwhile, Michelangelo's literally on the phone ordering or, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and he's threatening the guy. He's like, if you put anchovies on this pizza, I swear <laughs> I will come find you. <laughs> Also, the turtles are kind of dicks to the pizza delivery guy. Yeah, they're not nice to him. But it's also like, it's New York. I feel like everyone's dicks to everybody they, and it's fine. You they know? they don't even tip him. Well, he was late. He couldn't find the fucking this address is back- because <laughs> it's a storm drain. Yeah, this is back in the day where uh, it was like 233rd and an 8th. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, an 8th? And he's like, where's an 8th? This is pre-Harry Potter, by the way. <laughs> they're like, oh, down here, dude. You're late. <laughs> This is back when if, if a pizza arrived more than 30 minutes later, it was like, that was a problem. It's like 30 yeah. minutes or less. Pizza time. Pizza time. Yeah. And like they're dicks at a pizza guy. They don't tip them. I have issues with this. <laughs> sure. We that work in the service industry. <laughs> but it still makes for a funny gag. Yeah. They put on the radio and it's tequila and they start dancing. And they're like. Also, I fail to believe that all five of them are sharing one pizza because he orders one pizza. <laughs> was it even a large? Yeah, it was a large. It was like a large extra cheese. And... If everyone had like a slice and a half. Yeah, that's not enough. These are like... Wh- How many slices did they cut those into? Anthropomorphic mutated turtles. Like They should have gotten two They pizzas. should be eating a lot of food. Yeah, I, I would imagine they'd each eat a pizza themselves. Oh, you know. Man. Anyway, get more pizza. Fun fact here, by the way. Like, the official pizza sponsor for this film was Pizza Hut. Was it? Yeah. They had a huge marketing campaign. They had, Why like... Was Domino's featured in this movie? Exactly. Pizza Hut didn't deliver at the time. Uh, back oh. in the 80s, they were, like, just... They were they the were restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. They didn't I, oh, start man. delivering until a few years after. And around this time, a few markets were, were delivering, but... They it, didn't want to be wasn't widespread. Yeah, they didn't want to be the fast food pizza place. They want to be like the cool 50, 60 well, ish vibe they, they pizza have, restaurant like, with the jukebox buffets, and salad buffets. Hell and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Pizza Hut used to be cool. Pizza Hut used to be so cool. And you'd go, you'd see your friends, you'd do Book It. You remember Book It? I remember Book It. Hell yeah, you got a you free pizza if you read books. Pizzas? Fuck yeah. Pan pizzas are also really good. Pizza Hut, they fell pretty big. Now Domino's hard. is good donald's is delicious now because they one time they like had so many complaints about how bad they were and like maybe we should don't quote me but like the ceo was like fuck this we got to change everything they overhauled 
everything top down, all the recipes. This was like and just a little over a decade ago, right? Yeah, it was it was fairly recent. Yeah. And now they're like fairly good pizza, honestly. I'd say Domino's. out of like the three big ones, three big ones being like, you know, Papa John's, Domino's, Pizza Hut. I think Domino's is the top now. Hard agree. Definitely. Pizza has its moments. And, and they still but made the stuffed crust pizza thing. Stuffed crust pizza, pan pizzas are really nice and crispy. But like you can't go back in time and like you know, being that moment of like, pizza all right, hut, it's like, Sunday. It's prime. Yeah, it's Sunday afternoon. You and your family are going to Pizza Hut. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that was fucking cool. Do you remember they had like the little quarter machines and you get like a, a tattoo? Yeah. Next to the jukebox in the arcade. I remember also <laughs> like around a time when like early 2000s, delivery might have still been kind of a new thing for them. But like if you got a pizza delivered, you can get you'd get like a DVD movie also. The hell? I don't yeah, that's this. how I watched uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Wow. Pizza Hut also had PlayStation demo discs. I sort of remember that. <laughs> Did you know that Domino's is a wild tangent? You know Domino's invented like pizza delivery? Hmm. Really? Yeah. Like delivery food was sort of a thing depending on the restaurant. A lot of Chinese places like would do more delivery. Just in, just in like New York City though or like densely populated it was, areas. Pizza wasn't widely delivered. You had to go get it. Right. And Domino's well, you was the company that. The pizza parlor. Right, right, right. Domino's was the one that would be like, no, no, let's do delivery. Let's set ourselves apart from delivery. Because now when you think of food delivery, first thing you think about is pizza. Yeah. Because every pizza place has to deliver or else it's not going to work. Right? I feel like that's the most common food to get delivered. Exactly. Also. Domino's did it. <laughs> Thank you, that Domino's. Was, that's their little contribution to society. <laughs> also, like we said, it's not bad pizza. Let's move no, on. It's much better uh, now. Oh, oh, so they had to use Domino's for product placement because of the delivery thing. And I think in the next few movies are just like, this is stupid. It's a movie. Here's a prop pizza box. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And well, we can pretend. <laughs> but yeah, that's why there's Domino's and uh, okay, the guy's a Domino's driver. Yeah. Right? Even though Pizza Hut's the sponsor. That's <laughs> that's weird. Oh, so I was saying Pizza Hut boxes at the time had like the Ninja Turtles on them. That was like part of the marketing campaign. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Ninja Turtles love pizza. Hell yeah. So Raphael goes to the movies. He sees Critters um, disguised in a trench coat and fedora. So this is also because it was New Line Cinema's other movie. <laughs> uh, We're going to get into New Line Cinema a little bit, but he witnesses a purse snatcher and stops the burglary, but lets the perps get away. In the park, the two purse snatchers are caught by Casey Jones, a local vigilante who doles justice with baseball bats, cricket bats, and hockey sticks. Basically any sports gear he can find. Yeah, he's like the <laughs> sports guy. <laughs> unhinged, too. He's clearly unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> Raphael stops him from hurting the perps, thinking he's going a bit too far. The two quip and fight, and Casey gets the best of Raphael, running off, calling him a freak. Enraged, Raphael chases Casey and gets hit with a taxi cab. The passenger inside the cab yells, what the heck was that? To which the driver replies, look like sort of a big turtle in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> that might be my favorite line in this whole movie. Just like New Yorkers don't give a shit about anything <laughs> it's like oh yeah you know, whatever joke, yeah <laughs> but uh, i'm taking you to LaGuardia. <laughs> <laughs> i just love like it happens and so the guy in like, the cab is clearly know, a tourist yeah and the cab driver is sure. clearly a local yeah <laughs> he's like oh man looks sort of like a big turtle in a trench coat what more do you want from me <laughs> it's like that, that's what it was <laughs> i love the soundtrack to this movie specifically there's a lot of just like jazz drumming going on whenever there's fighting have you did you notice that a little bit yeah and so it starts here with the casey jones fight because they're just like kind of 
kind of sparring with each other a little bit. He's like, I don't want to fight you, man, but if you're going to push me around, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like jazzy fight music. Well, it's not something I see in a whole lot of other movies. I think the only other time we said this was during Batman Forever because it has a very jazzy soundtrack. Mm. But every time they fight, it's just like a drum set and the guy's just kind of like riffing it, whatever he wants to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that's such a I like that pairing. It could have gone really bad <laughs> if the guy was not talented. Yeah. I mean, this this movie in general has a lot of like really 90s things. Yes. It is very much like set in this time period. It's a product of It's like, this 100% decade. a 90s film. Yes. But it's also and we'll get more into it. I feel like it's not it's really kind of pushing some of the best of the era. And that's why it, like you can watch it now and appreciate it. It doesn't feel as dated because it's not doing like the worst things of the 90s which it's is, doing the best things of the 90s which is crazy because it came out at the beginning of the 90s sure i mean it's it's definitely like 80s 90s it's 1990 so it's 80s 90s vibes yeah. right it's probably more it's a late 80s, 80s movie but yeah. I mean, it was made in the 80s I mean, it yeah, came out in the 90s. exactly but so. i get what you're saying there yeah you like casey jones i do i've always liked casey jones though i think he's a psychopath yeah i like <laughs> but him that's in this also movie, kind of though. his thing <laughs> I wish he wore his hockey mask. He had it oh, on for. I wish he wore for it more. more. It was for like it was like one minute of hockey mask. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was, a, it was a cool mask. <laughs> yeah, because that's his thing. He wears a hockey mask and he beats the shit out of people. Yeah, seriously. So back at the hideout, Raphael arrives to Splinter, who lectures him about his anger. Splinter tells him that he is unique among his brothers for not seeking out help and allows him to face his anger alone, so long as he does not forget he has brothers and Splinter to help. I feel like Splinter's just like the best dad ever. He definitely tries to be. Yeah. Like he always has the right thing to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? He understands how hot-headed Raphael is. Splinter always has like the right thing to say. Like that's what makes him a good dad. Like he sees that Raphael is like the loner among the four brothers and he doesn't try to change him. He's like, that's fine. As long as you don't forget, like we are here to help you when you need it. But you are perfectly like capable of figuring stuff out on your own. Yeah, you know, that's a good that's, parent. It's good advice. Yeah, <laughs> good guidance. Just all around good dad vibes from yeah Splinter. Seriously, this was the movie that taught me about curse words. By the way, now that I think about it, because he, he curses. He well, he says damn like right, five times. He says damn a lot. I mean, he's like yelling. He's like damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't they say shit a few times too. I don't remember shit. I, remember I feel damn. like someone says shit. It might not be Raphael. It might just oh. be one of the. It might be Casey, actually. Oh, actually, maybe. I don't know. April's boss, Charles, and his son, Danny, visit her, concerned for her safety after the mugging. Danny, seen earlier working as a pickpocket, steals a $20 bill from April's wallet. April interviews the chief of police and inquires if he'll admit to the rumors of a gang called the Foot Clan. The turtles watch her on TV in awe of her beauty. I love that they're all just like, there she is, the girl we saved. She's so hot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just being horny teenagers <laughs> yeah <laughs> a silhouetted figure the shredder also watches her interview and throws a dagger at her face breaking a tv set he commands that she should be found and silenced at the police station where april conducted her interview with the chief of police we see danny getting arrested danny is kind of a little shit yeah <laughs> i want to get more into uh danny and, and his part in this movie a little bit later <laughs> i was like Thinking in the beginning where they're stealing like 
random used TVs that obviously they can't like sell anymore. Like, yeah, what do they do with those? And then Shredder's just got them all set up like in his like hideout. <laughs> what exactly was his plan with those? I guess they're just flipping it for profit. Okay. He's got to fund your ninja yeah. clan somehow. I exactly. Guess. Same reason why, like, you know, Fast and the Furious are stealing DVD players. Yeah. Here they're stealing, like, VHSs and TVs and radios. <laughs> there was, like, expensive DVD players in Fast and Furious. Oh, that was back when DVD players were, were expensive. expensive. Yeah. That's, like, the equivalent of, like, a PS5 now. Yeah. Which are in you can't find high one. demand. You yeah, can't exactly. find one right now. Even if you had the money. <laughs> yeah. April misses her subway train and is encountered by the Foot Clan. She tries fighting back with her purse and the size she took from Raphael. Raph shows up, having been following her, and fights off the Foot, taking an unconscious April through the tunnels back to their hideout. Unbeknownst to Raphael, he's being followed by a Foot member. April awakens in their lair and screams at the sight of Splinter and the Turtles. She assumes she's dreaming. She says, Why don't I ever dream of Harrison Ford? <laughs> Very much a line of the times. I was going to say, no, because Harrison Ford is still a hunk, even, and he's 78 years old. <laughs> right, but women aren't going around like, oh, I want to fuck Harrison Ford. <laughs> older ladies are. Probably. <laughs> of, of all, like, older kind of, you know, like, actors or whatever, he's he still looks great. He aged very great. gracefully. Yeah. Oh, uh, set photos came out today of him on Indiana Jones. Does he still look like a badass? He's wearing a mask and stuff. It's hard to tell, but yeah, he's, you know, wearing his uh, get up. Um, is he still stapling the hat to his head? Is that what they did in Indiana he, Jones? He did it. Really? Yeah. Was I guess like, the hat kept falling off. I don't know if this is a myth or if this actually happened. Sounds like a myth. Why would they strap it to him? The myth is that Harrison Ford himself stapled it to his head. That's disgusting. <laughs> don't know how true that is. We might need to fact check that later. Unrelated <laughs> to the movie we're watching right Seriously, now. Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> But, yeah, like, if I saw giant turtles and rats surrounding me, I'd probably freak out, too, honestly. I love their little their little hideout. Their home is so cute. Uh, it's just like an abandoned subway station. Apparently, it's modeled after, I don't know, I'm not from New York. But there's an abandoned subway station in New York that a train will make a stop at just so that you can see it. You can't get out. But oh, like can, they won't let you out? Yeah, but okay. you can stop and see it. And it's like from the 30s. You know, they, they keep it. It's basically like a museum piece, you know, okay. and then it'll just do they upkeep keep going. it or do they just kind of let I think it they clean it? OK, at the very least. And there's lights and stuff, obviously, but it's modeled after that. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, like the old style. That's what they would have found. There, there's plenty of subway stations that are just like completely like out of use, which is weird. And With so there's that many people in New York City. You think they'd take advantage of all the space well, they they can. You know, they would have had to, like, build new ones to, like, up... I don't know. I don't know how any of that shit works. So, Splinter recounts their origin story to April. Fifteen years ago, Splinter was a pet of his master, Hamato Yoshi, mimicking his movements and learning the ways of the ninja when he came to America. He was a lone rat in the sewers when he came by four baby turtles crawling in a shattered canister of radioactive material. Splinter collected the turtles in an old coffee can and realized the next day that they were all growing in size and intellect. He trained them in ninjutsu and named him after the Renaissance masters, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. So this story is like almost word for word from the first issue of the comic. Yeah, which was the whole Daredevil connection too, because it's supposed to be the same radioactive waste that gave Daredevil his powers. Exactly. So in the comic, it's much more up on the surface where in here it's just like oh i found them in the sewer already but in the, so in the comic there's a truck 
that's going to hit a, a person and a little boy saves them. A canister from the truck, bounce, truck bounces off. And the comic says it bounces a couple times and it shatters a fishbowl that the boy was holding with the turtles in it. The turtles fall down to the sewer with the chemicals and we don't see the little boy anymore, but that little boy would have been Daredevil, right? Because <laughs> the Ninja Turtles comic was written as sort of a parody. Yeah, I guess a parody, yeah, I, a par- of like, Daredevil. Yeah, they wrote it kind of as a joke. It was always going to be a joke until, <laughs> until it- people kept buying it. <laughs> And we're going to get into that, but... It was a big surprise that it kicked off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's super interesting. Uh, but in that comic, it's pretty much that's their origin. To, like, the coffee can, to, like, the words that they use. They, they, they're they playing very close homage to the comic in this. Oh, the Shredder part. They save that for later. In, in the comic, they talk about Shredder right away. Yeah, in the movie, to talk about it in the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. This scene, I like it a lot, um, because... They show the little puppets, little turtle puppets. Yeah, the uh, cute little which turtle are puppets. so adorable. <laughs> Jim Henson's Creature Shop is amazing. This was Jim Henson's like last work before he died, right? He died like the year after this, I think. Okay. The turtles take April back to her home through the sewers, where they have pizza, and Mikey does his impressions. Uh, they return to the. <laughs> they just have a good time. They have a little party. Yeah. They return to their lair to find it ransacked and Splinter missing. They go back to April's and seek of refuge. So April, like, immediately becomes best friends with these turtles. I mean, you can't not, though. You know what I mean? They're just so fun. They're just cool dudes. Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because they're they're just at her house, like, cracking jokes and stuff. And then she's cracking jokes back. And then they're like, all right, we got to go. Bye. And she's like, oh. Yeah. They're just having a good time. (laughs) And this movie is written well enough to where, like, you believe that these characters are real. Like, you would have a good time with them. Yeah. If they were with you, too. The chief of police calls Charles about Danny and implies he'll let him go in exchange for April to drop the foot story. What? You don't remember that part? I do, but it's like... Like, I got your kid it's like, here. It's blackmail. It's The police chief is blackmailing... Yeah. Like the media. Yeah. It's very illegal. <laughs> like, oh, holy exactly, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Charles, in turn, goes to April's the next morning, and the turtles show off their stealth skills. But Danny catches a glimpse of one. Charles lectures Danny for getting arrested, and Danny runs off into the subway. This scene is very 90s with, like, the whole, like, sneaking around and, like, almost get caught. You think that's repeated. a 90s trope? It seems like a 90s trope. But they're ninjas, which is my favorite part about this <laughs> scene because she's like, oh, my God, you guys have to hide. She turns around. They're already gone. Right. But the scene <laughs> plays out like a like a comedy scene. Yeah. It is like a it trope in funny. like comedy movies when somebody's oh, hiding. Yeah, and okay. You know, oh, let me check the shower curtains. And he's oh, yeah, looking around, he's mean, up yeah. there. Was, I, he almost gets caught yeah. when April like sees him and she's like, ah! It, it's, this is such a movie thing because it's obviously like editing and it's right. planned out. But like me as a viewer, from when I was a kid to now when I watched it a few days ago, I buy into it. I'm like, she again, she turns her head. Like, they come oh, back. Man, is he going to catch them? They're all gone. No, I'm saying I'm impressed by like their skills. Oh, like okay. they're gone. Or one's like hanging by the on the roof, you know, yeah. or like in a ceiling. Another one's under the table, gets seen by Danny and then disappears. <laughs> like their ability to like disappear, even though it's all like If they were a really good magic. ninja, they wouldn't have been seen in the first place. Yeah. To be fair, he was only seen through a mirror. He's probably not. True. He's probably only thinking about direct lines of sight. Okay. And Danny, like, accidentally saw him in the mirror. Yeah, like, what exactly. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Danny doesn't, like, freak out, though. He just kind of goes under He's the like, table. who the fuck is this? 
at a warehouse club, basically. <laughs> 90s youths are playing pool, skateboarding, gambling, and smoking. <laughs> I just want to point out, this is the most ballsy thing I've ever seen in a movie, by the way. The scene opens, and it's this boy, and he must be what? 11 years old like at smoking the a cigar? oldest? Smoking a stogie, playing pool. No camera tricks, like he is He's actually smoking this cigar, yeah. They wouldn't do this in movies anymore. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's the most ballsy thing I've ever seen put on film. <laughs> this is more of an 80s thing than a 90s thing. Like, this reminds me a little bit of, like, stuff they would do in, like, Indiana Jones and stuff like that. Basically, like, early like, PG-13 type movies. Or, okay, like, yeah. old Spielberg movies, even. Yeah. Like, they didn't have an issue with having young kids do, like... But it's not a teenager smoking that kid was like 10 he was years an actual old. child yeah at the oldest 10 years old smoking the cigar i mean i don't have a problem with it no i <laughs> which again, might be a weird thing to say but... I th- well sure uh <laughs> there is some ethics here but right it, it, from a filmmaking perspective it's great because in one shot it tells you everything you need to know yeah like here's a place where kids are allowed to just do whatever the they want which is why they go there probably and they and you do that in one shot yep here's a kid smoking a cigar playing pool something that should not be happening that would enrage parents today <laughs> yeah i think it which is crazy because those parents too. probably watched this movie when they were kids yes exactly <laughs> an older teen played by sam rockwell <laughs> introduces a couple new members to their hangout all the kids are overseen by tatsu shredder's second in command in another room, older teenagers are training in martial arts. A gong sounds, and everyone files into a large room. Shredder appears. He awards a new member a foot mask and headband. He tells his followers they are a family, and he is their father. And they face a new enemy, freaks of nature. Danny speaks up to Master Shredder, having caught a glimpse of one of the turtles in April's apartment. So, I mean, honestly, this seems good, too. It shows you that... All of Shredder's, like, Foot Clan soldiers are basically, like, kids that he's just recruiting off the streets. He's, yeah, he's doing all the legwork. He's recruiting these, you know, these people and training them from the ground up because that's how you get loyalty, right? Yeah. Like It's a cult. It's a cult, yeah. <laughs> and and that's what I wanted to get to later on is that what Shredder's doing here is he's finding, like, these rogue kids. And indoctrinating who, them. Yeah, and giving them a sense of belonging, which is what cults do. Yep. Cults start off by saying, like, hey, you know how you get made fun of this thing that you like? Well, here's a group of people that like the same thing, <laughs> and they take it seriously. You think the Earth is flat? Well, don't, so, so don't do get, we. Yeah, let me hook you up with a bunch of other people that also think the Earth is flat. No. You're not a weirdo for thinking the Earth is flat. You're part of this family now. Yeah. Like, it gives this is your new family now. Pay me money so we keep you here. <laughs> right. It gives people a sense of belonging and people will pay all sorts of, not money, you know, like these kids, like they're pretty much selling a piece of their soul. Yeah. Just to hang on to that, right? And that theme kind of does go throughout this movie. Absolutely. It's never yeah. really resolved. So, I mean, I want to get to it when we get to the analysis of this movie, but the big themes here are family, brotherhood, and fatherhood specifically, right? And they do such a good job, I think, of showing these themes by juxtaposing the Foot Clan with the Turtles. Foot Clan is a cult, you know, and they pretend to be a family, but they're not a family. No. They're they're indoctrinated. They're being and used. They're, being, they're yeah. being manipulated. I mean, they literally say that later on in the movie, but I always thought this looked really fun. This warehouse, by the way. 
They're just like skateboarding inside, and they got like ramps, and they've got breaking all the rules. They have like tons of soda. I think there's an implication that there's beer there, but they don't show it. <laughs> but they've got soda galore, and then arcade games and shit. Man, I want to go to an arcade. Mostly like inside bowling alleys. I feel. Yeah, that's like where Dave you get and Buster's arcade. or Dave and Buster's. That's we should really go there. I've only been to Dave and Buster's like twice in my it's, life. We gotta go. It's just Chuck E. Cheese for adults. What did I do? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, yeah, so they know that they know where to go now because Danny's seen one of these freaks of nature. And they have their, oh, you know why? Uh, and they have their target I, now, sorry. the turtles. Yeah, I completely forgot to even mention like Shredder's in the scene. What do you think about Shredder, his costume, his uh, look? His well, every... this is like the first time you like see He's, him. Yeah. yeah. The costume, I mean, it looks it looks like the Shredder. Like, mm-hmm. it's a good costume. Yeah. Again, especially for the year that this was made yeah. in. He does seem threatening. Absolutely. So yeah. I mean, honestly, this this was a good reveal for the villain. Yeah, I think I think this whole thing's perfect. Honestly, <laughs> I think it's perfect. I think his introduction, you know, you've got this top down shot. There's like a big kind of like one light source and a big shadow, and you just see like this creeping shadow walking in, and then everyone's quiet. They're all waiting. You get immediate like a sense of importance within the scene. Like the, this is their master. Exactly the way it's filmed tells you exactly what you need to know you remember when we talk about show don't tell this is show don't tell yeah right this for me i think harkens back to all the way to star wars where i was thinking that too yeah which scene in particular were you thinking of though the first one with darth vader okay i was thinking of um empire strikes back when we first see the emperor and vader bows down okay yeah or i thought you meant like return of the jedi where the emperor arrives and he's got like all the that one too. All three, all three of all those three scenes. Of them, yeah. Why? Because they're very smart ways of showing you the power dynamic. The power, exactly. Yeah. Here's the power of this villain, Darth Vader. Oh, you know they the very first uh, scene in Star Wars. You know they're being attacked. They break the door down. Once the soldiers have already stormtroopers, uh, but you don't know that. Once the stormtroopers <laughs> have already killed everybody, right? They line up, they file up, and here comes Darth Vader. The music plays, and you immediately know. This is the villain. He's in charge. He's the villain for the rest of these movies, right? It's just a visual power that he, right. you know, and this is, and I mean, basically all movies post, you know, the 80s are somehow like influenced by Star Wars nowadays. Yeah. But I feel like this is one where they're like, we well, need to do that when we introduce a Strider. You need to immediately know like he's powerful. And I just, I love his costume. His cape looks a little garbage baggy. I'll give you that. <laughs> it looks plasticky. I could do a little, but he also cape, doesn't but... wear it after that, right? And it's because in the <laughs> he just put it on for appearance. Yeah, exactly. It's just ceremonial because in the comic he doesn't have a cape, and then in the cartoon he does because like supervillains. So this is more of whatever. an Easter egg in that regard. I think it's a way of kind of like, hey, here's a bit of mix of the two or whatever. Because the com- the cartoon was. Before the movie, obviously, but only by a few years, right? Yeah, yeah. So this movie does a really good job of taking from both. It's mm-hmm. kind of a marriage of both the comic and the cartoon. Oh, man. Just in the way, you know, Tatsu's just kind of like rolling his thing. You see his little spiky armor. His mask looks really good. He looks pretty much just like he does in the comic. It's just a, such a good introduction of this villain. Something I want to talk about a little bit later, but I guess we can mention it now, by the way, is there is a little bit of whitewashing here. Because both of these characters, Tatsu and Shredder, are voiceover by white actors. 
by uh, Americans. Do you um, think they did it just to make them easier to understand? Well, I, as far as I know, both of those actors speak English. Okay. Fluently? Because <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I get it. Like with those actors, it's a little bit difficult to understand. They're, for example, Jackie Chan in the first Rush Hour, it's kind of hard to understand what he's saying. That was also his first American movie. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm glad he Jackie Chan got to voice himself in that movie. Yeah, but, but you know, it's something to talk about next week uh, because in the sequel, Shredder is played by a different actor. Um, okay, like completely a completely different actor, but is still voiceovered by the same voice actor. Is it the voice actor from the cartoon? I don't think so. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Uh, well, look, it's a guy named something McCarran. Uh, he's like an Irish guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, he's white. <laughs> Although on his IMDb, it says like he's Japanese American because apparently he was born in Japan, but he's absolutely not Japanese. <laughs> so legally, he is. But... Yeah. But the second actor from the next movie is very fluent in English. Very fluent. And they, because and they I've... still didn't use him? So yeah, no, I guess at that point it's more like a continuity thing, but like even if, so, if you already changed the actor, <laughs> yeah, at least with him, like his mouth is covered a lot. Tatsu, like you can see where it's, it doesn't it's match dubbed. up with his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> like, like if you like look at his old, mouth, uh, doesn't Kung match up at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't think that was intentional. I don't think that was what. They oh, were that going wasn't for. an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Leonardo and Raphael argue about what their next move should be. Mikey and Donatello recognize a classic fight and excuse themselves. <laughs> Raphael goes to the rooftop to blow off some steam and is spotted by Casey Jones from another rooftop. He's silently flanked by foot soldiers. So is Casey just watching rooftops? Pretty much. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Raphael fights off the foot as best as he can, but is overtaken and thrown through a skylight, leaving him unconscious. The foot jump into April's apartment, and the turtles fight them off. Mikey gets into a nunchuck competition with a foot member. There's another Wheel of Fortune reference. <laughs> we keep running into these these uh, Wheel of Fortune references. Again, the only reason I bring them up is because Wheel of Fortune's still going on. So it's, yeah. it's as relevant now as it was then. The rooftop fight with Raphael and the Foot Clan is so, so good. Yeah. Because... It's one of the better fights in the movie, I think. There's a lot of good fights in this movie. But it's in the daylight. It's so Which it would isn't be so done hard, a lot, even in movies today. Yes, because it's hard to hide things, right? Like yeah. you can't hide mistakes. You can't really like you can't hide anything. And here is like this stunt actor in a heavy ass like prosthetic suit, right? <laughs> like actually doing flips, doing and, flips, kicking, and kicking good fights with like other stuntmen. Props, um, stuntmen and in it this movie. all looks so good. I especially really like that rooftop fight with Raphael. But then, in, you know, the rest of the fight, they're making quips and jokes and stuff, which is, it's all fine. Like, yeah. All that stuff's good, I think. It, it is a little slapsticky here, if I could point out a yeah. criticism. It is a little kiddie and slapsticky in parts. Isn't it intended to be? Yeah, though? I mean, that's kind of the like, balance This you movie have to was strike. marketed at kids, right? Despite sure. it being kind of a dark movie. Yeah. Although. And we might talk about this later. I don't think they made any toys based on the movie. They did. I I owned all of them. Based on the movie? Mm-hmm. Based on this movie? It might have been the next one. I'm sure okay. they did for both, honestly. Because I, I, I thought I, I read something them. saying that like they didn't like how dark the movie was. So, I mean, I had the toys, but you might be right. They, it might be that they were based off the next movie. Maybe. 
and but we I, can look I, into that. I definitely own them. I probably still have them up in like in my mom's <laughs> attic. You know, I don't think we tossed them. I think I have a bunch of Star Wars toys. In oh, I have those my too. Don't you? Grandparents' garage. Don't you worry. <laughs> the fight leads into the antique shop night downstairs, and the turtles are overwhelmed without the help of Raphael, who is unconscious. Casey Jones shows up to defend his little green friend. <laughs> a fire starts. April and the turtles escape through a hidden door as Casey holds the foot back. Her phone rings and Casey hears the message. Charles is firing April for not dropping the foot story. So on the antique thing, there's a scene where she is showing them all, except for Raphael, who's upstairs getting beat up by the foot. Um, <laughs> yeah. The antique store downstairs that she owns. And she just says at one point, because remember, Splinter's missing. And Splinter had like talked about his own mortality earlier in the movie. Right. And there's a part where Donatello, when they're waiting for the pizza, Donatello says to Michelangelo, like, did you, what do you think about all that stuff that Splinter was saying? And Michelangelo's like, pizza guy's late. <laughs> like, he's not even listening. Yeah. So it is part of the movie or whatever. It almost seems like it's like trying to foreshadow like his death. A little bit. Yeah. yeah even though he doesn't die. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> there's a part where she says to um, the turtles, I guess it's dumb to lose money on a business just because you miss your father. And it's not dumb. Well, Leonardo replies, no, it isn't. And it's just such yeah. a like kind of a it's wholesome a poignant moment. part of this film of like it just hits what the themes are yeah. about this movie. Uh, and I want to talk more about it when we get into the analysis of it. But well, it's, Leonardo loves Splinter. Well, yeah, I mean, they all Splinter, do. They all do. The yeah. Splinter's their dad, you know, and April is still clearly like mourning her parents at some point, and it wasn't until this time I watched the movie that I realized April's probably in her 30s. She's too young to have dead parents is where I'm getting at. Yeah. Because she'd be a, probably a little bit older than me. I don't know how old the actress is. She's probably in her 30s, right? Right. And I feel like I'm I'm 32, and I feel like I'm too young to have dead parents. My parents are alive and well. Right. You know what I mean? But they're still, you know, they're in their 60s. So, like, for her to have dead parents, something probably happened. You yeah. know, and she's holding on to the antique store because it's all she has left. And, yeah. you know, it's probably harder for her to, I guess, like properly mourn because, again, she's too young and they probably went too soon. I think it's, it, it is so sweet that like Leonardo's like, no, it's, there's nothing dumb about that. I saw a bunch of like criticisms of like, why an antique store? Why is this even in this movie? But it is such it's a symbol. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people it's kind of like... kind of like a little bit more depth to April's character. Yeah. But it fits within the themes of the film, which is about fatherhood. Yeah. Because she doesn't mention her mom. She mentions her dad. The antique store was her dad's. I think the reboot also has like a April and her dad like connection thing going. But that's... I... It's been a long you time might since be I've right, seen that. And I forgot because I haven't seen yeah. that movie in a long time. I don't know. I only saw it once. Um, Same, actually. Maybe I saw it twice, actually. I didn't hate it. We'll I didn't to, either. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But eventually, it, uh, we'll get to those yeah. movies. But since this movie is so much about fatherhood, it is you know a through line through all the characters. And so this part where April, oh, so I was saying like you know why an antique store? It's an actual symbol <laughs> of like her attachment to the past and grasping onto the one thing she has left of her dad. And then in this moment, it all just burns down. Yeah, you know. And I really think this is about, and a lot of this movie is about like losing your parents. And this is a moment where she had this last thing for her dad and now it's gone. This symbolizes like her like actually 
losing her parents, like losing her dad for real, even though the, the guy's dead. Right. But like now is when she's like the last thing that you were holding on to is gone. exactly. It's like she went from denial to acceptance. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I think that's a very poignant kind of symbol here about what this movie's about. Which is heartbreaking, but it's also probably healthier for her too. Yeah, in the long run. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and then there's more jazz drumming, which I really like <laughs> when whenever they're fighting. Uh, how'd you feel about this whole fight scene, like inside of the? The antique. antique shop, like with the fire raging and stuff. That was cool. It was a pretty I cool like fight it. scene. Yeah. Action uh, in this movie is like how about point. The, the answering machine talking while they're in the middle of fighting. <laughs> Basically telling April that she's fired. Yeah. Right. Because the answering machine is picking up the call and it's like dangling. The fight's happening. Yeah. The only person left to hear it is Casey Jones. Yeah. Who doesn't know that girl. Uh, he doesn't know any of these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just hears this message. Yeah. It's... It's, I think it's really well done. Again, this movie doesn't feel rushed because it tells the story so well. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what do you need to know here? Okay, well, they figured out a way of making the fight less boring by putting this basically a voiceover, but it's not. It's an answering machine, right? Yeah. It's moving the plot while, forward. Exactly. <laughs> while the fight's going on, while Casey's... There's like three things happening simultaneously, and it's very digestible. Anybody can watch it, and I get overwhelmed by how much like narrative input they're getting yeah is it it's very well done and it's fun (laughs) (laughs) shredder interrogates splinter about the turtles splinter doesn't speak he gives tatsu a look of disappointment for not capturing the turtles tatsu in his rage beats up several of his own clan members danny looks on in horror and sneaks to see splinter splinter offers danny a friendly ear to listen to his burdens danny says his dad doesn't care for him and splinter disagrees all fathers care for their sons he says so this is another fatherhood yeah. heavy scene. <laughs> um, again, yeah, the main themes on this movie is fatherhood and brotherhood. Right. And I really like this character of Danny because I face value. It doesn't seem like he belongs in this movie. He's an original character. Right. Like, shouldn't this movie be more about the turtles or whatever? Besides the fact that he serves several important plot points. <laughs> he does. Besides that... He is, again, it's, it's juxtaposing like the two very different scenarios. Here are these turtles who are all very close brothers. And the reason they can succeed is because they have each other. They're like this very tight-knit family. Whereas Danny's like this only child without a mom and a single dad. Yeah. And Charles tries his best and he loves him or whatever, but it still doesn't like fill this void for Danny, which is why he seeks out the foot. Yeah, he, he like starts rebelling. He starts skipping school, seeking out the foot. Yeah, exactly. Being a little dick and stealing from April. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but why? Because the foot is actually telling him, here's your sense of belonging. We are your family. The Shredder literally says that to yeah. Danny. I am your father. And he sees a better father in the Shredder than he does in Charles, even though Charles loves him and Danny doesn't, or the Shredder doesn't care about him. But I love that in this scene, all that falls apart. Because Tatsu just starts beating people up, like foot members. And the foot, other members have to like stop and be like, Master, please, like stop. Like you're hurting us. Yeah. And Tatsu's not a very good ninja if he's just losing his temper and attacking <laughs> his fellow clan members. Sure, but he's a bad guy. And ninjas are bad guys. That's another thing, by the way. We're romanticizing ninjas the same way we romanticize pirates. And they're very popular among children. Right. For whatever reason. They're assassins. They're assassins. <laughs> and pirates are like murderous thieves. Yeah. And we forget pirates that. Pirates still exist. Yeah. And they still murder people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so. Uh, 
Anyway, no, but like like we were saying, like at this point, this all falls apart for Danny, who who sees how Shredder and Tatsu actually treat who they call their family, and that's why he kind of seeks out you know Splinter, and Splinter's like you know he's doing Splinter, he's talking him out of it, you know. <laughs> April, Casey, and the Turtles escape to a farmhouse. Casey and April immediately don't get along. <laughs> Casey tells her he heard the message that she's fired. She yells at him for his insensitivity. April narrates their time at the farm. Donatello and Casey become friends, fixing an old truck. Leonardo watches over Raphael, who remains in a coma, lying in a bathtub. What do you, this whole farmhouse stuff in the middle of the movie, what do you think about that? Because I, I know a lot of people don't like this. I mean, it was... I think much needed downtime in a movie that was kind of moving at like a breakneck pace. Yeah. But also like people, Age of Ultron has a very similar type of scene to this. Yeah. Where like the whole movie is just kind of action and you have like this scene. Incredibly similar now that you mentioned. I never yeah. thought about that. And then they, you know, kind of take a breather at a farmhouse. Yeah. <laughs> and people apparently hated that too. It's very similar. <laughs> it's the same thing actually. Did Joss Whedon I don't know. Um, take some inspiration from this? Apparently, this is borrowed from the comic. At one point, they do retreat to a farmhouse in an issue I have not read. Oh, okay. I've read that somewhere. I like this part of the movie a lot because, again, this movie is short, but it doesn't feel rushed because they do certain things really well. This is a very slow-paced part of the film. Right. And it kind of needs to be. It, exactly. And, and it really also kind of like shows a passage of time. Like, I don't know how long they were there for, but it, by, like, movie standards, what the movie tells me is that they were at least there for two weeks. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Raphael needed time to, like, recover. The, yeah. the turtles needed to, like, kind of band together again. Exactly. So. Right. Casey get... and April needed to form whatever bond they have. <laughs> yeah. Do, what do you, yeah. What do you think about Casey and April? In this? I. Do you, I, do you I, buy their romance? I don't. Really? I do. I do a lot. I think I, I buy this romance just more being than a jerk. <laughs> like, he, I guess he's trying to be flirty, but the way he's doing it is just kind of being an asshole. Yeah, but he's a lovable jerk. Yeah, he's not like outright mean, and that's why I said like it seems like he's trying to flirt. Yeah, I just don't think it's good flirting. No, no, I, I, I <laughs> agree, <tough. laughs> but. Hey, I buy into this because it has a very, and maybe this is what they were basing it off, has a very Han Solo, Princess Leia See, vibe to it. I saw it as they were trying to do the Han Solo, Princess really? Leia thing. It I, just I, For me, it just didn't quite land. I don't know. I buy it because the way they write both these characters, they seem compatible to me. Like, they seem, they're both hot-headed. They are. And they, again, I, I get that Han Solo, Princess Leia kind of vibe, right? <laughs> They also like, and maybe he's like this in the comic, but Casey just kind of seems dumb. He's dumb. He's dumb and <laughs> like he's sexist. Like, actually dumb. No, and he's sexist. There's a part <laughs> of this movie where he's shuffling through sexist nicknames oh, yeah, to like, April. He's like, hey, Toots. And he's like, she's like, don't call me that. And he's, and like, he's like, all right, hey, let babe. Me... Uh, princess? <laughs> princess? Yeah, I know princess. That's what you would like. And she's like, how about you don't call me stupid ass names, you dumbass? <laughs> I did like that scene. I like that because it's it's okay to have a sexist character as long as he learns he has his comeuppance, right? And he learns a lesson in this movie, and that's not how you talk to women. Because she's like, am I the first woman you've ever spoken to? Like, what's your deal? And he's just like eating an apple like a <laughs> like a cool guy. Oh, my God. I love that scene where he, he thinks he's cool. He sits back on the swing and it breaks. 
Yeah. It made me think, I'm like, was that an accident? There's no way it was an accident. He looked like he was actually startled, though. It, it looked like, right. It looked like it was a happy <laughs> like accident, he, like and it like, worked oh, out. Shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I Again, all this farmhouse stuff I, I really, really like. There's a scene also where Donatello and Casey are fixing a, a truck. I do like that scene. I like that a lot. And they're like throwing insults at each other. And you don't realize it later that they're playing the alphabet game. But with insults. With yeah. insults, yeah. Because at one point, he's like, what are we on? F. Okay. <laughs> like fart brain or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they were like kind of bonding. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, during the narration, like April even like mentions like what each of the turtles are kind of doing. She does yeah. say that like Donatello found someone to latch on to. Yeah. What's Michelangelo doing there? I scene? I don't remember. Michelangelo. He's just being funny, I think, right? Yeah, isn't he just kind of like using humor as like his coping mechanism? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she also points out that like Leonardo spends all his time watching over Raphael to the point where like he's even falling asleep, like yeah. sitting there watching him. And meanwhile, she's doing color pencil drawings of the turtles. Of the turtles, and first of all, they're really good. And they do this thing where it fades into the real footage and all that stuff is really good. I really enjoy this kind of downtime because it gives you character moments. Yeah. And even if they're short, there's a moment where Casey Jones is making dinner for everybody and he's chopping carrots with one of Leo's katanas. <laughs> Does he not have a knife? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe this is how they have to like kind of like get by. Make do. You know? And he's sitting here like chopping vegetables with a katana sword. <laughs> and Michelangelo comes in. April offers him ointment, and he's like, nah. And he finds some turtle wax, and he's, he's like, like yeah. yeah, turtle wax. And it's like, obviously, he's, like, joking, but he'll do anything for a gag, yeah. you know? And then Casey does, like, this weird massage to April. Yeah, no, He kind of, like, pushes her into the chair. Yeah, that that gets a little bit weird. <laughs> I'm, I won't lie to you. That's where, where I'm like, eh, maybe he is kind of, like, a weird abuser. <laughs> but I buy that she's, like, into that. I buy I mean, that their, like, personality is, like, kind of mesh in a way where they would fall in love maybe i just need to watch the movie again i don't know maybe that's the thing maybe i'm biased i'm having a hard time like separating my bias for this film a film that i've loved my whole life right to like what's good and bad about it okay you know toots babe (laughs) princess (laughs) there's also a part where they um this happens a little bit later they're bonding they're getting along he's talking about like his athletic career and how like he got injured and but they never say what sport he was playing. And I always assume it was hockey. I don't know why. Because he has a hockey mask? Because he wears a hockey mask, but he uses like baseball bats too. It's weird. And a cricket bat. Maybe it was cricket. <laughs> like who knows? You know? <laughs> Even though I don't think there's many cricket leagues in America. I don't. If any. It's not a very popular sport over here. According to Raphael, you need, no one knows cricket. You need to know crumpets first to know cricket. <laughs> I like to think it's hockey though. I would like to think it's hockey too, but again, it could have been baseball. Hockey's also a very high injury sport. He looks more like a hockey player. It's the long hair. It's the temperament too. The temperament, the long hair. Yeah. Yeah. Raphael finally wakes up and the turtles train together. Leonardo interrupts a game of trivial pursuit to tell his brothers in in his meditation, he communicated with Splinter. It's this downtime stuff that adds in, you know what it is? This is a very unrealistic premise. You know, it's these like mutated turtles. They're obviously wearing costumes. It's obviously men in these suits. Right. But by using very kind of like relatable things. Like mundane. Mundane, just hanging out. Humanizes them. Yeah, it does. And you really kind of like impart your humanity onto them, you know. And the fact that he was so excited when Raphael woke up. Oh, yeah. I love that part. 
Because like, they're brothers at the end like, of the day. He's awake. He's awake. And he wants food. <laughs> he wants food. <laughs> um, and I love that they're just fucking playing Trivial Pursuit. Again. <laughs> just passing time. Yeah. Yeah. He takes him to the campfire where together they can speak to him. Splinter says he's proud of their power that was able to communicate with him. And that he loves them all. The next day, the four decide it's time to go back. Just as Casey and April are starting to get along. <laughs> When they talk to Splinter here, Splinter also makes it seem like he's about to die. Well, he's been doing that this whole movie, also. Right. He's and then like all. Well, like, he's probably on death's door. And, in fairness, and you, and you see like the turtles like start to like cry and stuff. Like mm-hmm. this scene's also like a good one because you kind of do feel like the love between them here. Yeah. Like they're genuinely concerned about their father, and they immediately want to go help him. Yeah. I guess they know where he's at now. Did he tell them? No, I don't think so. I have no idea. Uh, Either way, they're like, we need to go back. Exactly. Yeah. I always, as a kid, thought, what is this? Because he kind of projects himself on the campfire. Yeah. Um, and they are communicating, and that's like a superpower-y thing. And this is one of those things where we talked about it last week when we were talking about, like, suspension of disbelief. In a movie, I strictly believe that if you want to introduce a new thing, you have to do it in the first act of the movie. If you do it in the second or third... Suddenly you're like, this isn't a thing that we should know about. It's weird. Exactly. And this is one where I'm like, should we have known that they could communicate with him astrally like this? I just assumed it was like ninja magic. Yeah. Ninjutsu. There is no such thing as ninja magic. That's the thing. There's no such thing as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, but they... It it was was chemical. Right, exactly. They explained that. It wasn't like... Electro, where they're like, oh, a bunch of vague powers. And Who also, <laughs> suddenly, we can astral project and speak to each other. Exactly. And, yeah. So, if I had a complaint about this movie, maybe that part, I'm like, I get it. Where, you know, he's like, it took the four of you to sync up in order to, like, your chi had to sync up in order for us to be able to communicate through meditation. Right. I sort of get that, as long as maybe it was somehow established that that was a thing. Doesn't he tell them to, like, focus on their meditation, like, earlier in the movie? He does, but, like, people you, meditate. That doesn't mean true. that you can, like, you know, get superpowers from it. <laughs> yeah. The gang make it back to their sewer hideout, but are being watched by Danny, who has been hiding there. Also, Shredder's, like, looking for Danny. He's like, where's that kid who bought blah, 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 the turtles? He went missing. You know, where the hell did he go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, know, that's his new hideout. That's his, yeah, he kind of, like, <laughs> squats there. <laughs> They agree to stay the night before launching an, an attack on the foot. Casey discovers he's claustrophobic and tries to sleep <laughs> in the truck. <laughs> Danny can't sleep, haunted by the part he played in capturing Splinter, and goes back to the foot hideout. Casey follows. Danny goes back to Splinter. He's told his story of his master Yoshi and his wife, Tang Shin. They flee to America. Oroku Saki, who is in love with Shin, kills her and fights Yoshi, killing him as well. Splinter's cage is knocked over, and he attacks Saki's face, biting and clawing. Saki slices Splinter's ear off with a katana and leaves Splinter to mourn his master. Danny asks what happened to Oroku Saki, and Splinter replies, No one really knows, but you wear his symbol upon your brow. So clearly he's the Shredder. The Shredder, yeah. But this is news to even Splinter. Yeah. That that is Oroku Saki. So this is a very similar to the comic with one edit. And then in the comic, the person who is in love with Hamato Yoshi's wife, Tang Shin, is Oroku Nagi, Oroku Saki's bigger brother. 
Okay. Why'd they change that? Just it's almost like an unnecessary detail wrinkle. Yeah. Because Arakunagi goes to kill Hamato Yoshi, who's Splinter's master, and his wife. And Yoshi kills him first. Okay. By doing so, he is like, he knows he's going to get kicked out of the foot and he's going to be dishonored. Right. So he flees to America. Oroku Saki is his younger brother who grows up in hatred for Hamato Yoshi and becomes the shredder, becomes the foot's like best ninja. So he is sent to New York to lead the New York clan of the foot, which is where he becomes a shredder. Yeah. And then he goes to kill like years later, he goes to kill Yoshi. Oh, Yoshi. And then and and his wife. Yeah. He kills them both. Splinter obviously survives. He still cut Splinter's ear. That that wasn't in the comic. No, that's okay. new. I guess it was just that's interesting that they added that to the movie. That's also an interesting recall. But it gives them like a little bit of like because they both have scars. Yeah. Here's my scar. Here's your scar. We recognize each other. You know. Yeah. I feel like that's like an old samurai movie thing. It, it might be. I love all this stuff. Um, again, this is pretty much taken straight from the comic, except for the Big Brother thing. E- easy simplification, basically. Yeah. But I love that Danny like keeps on seeking Splinter out because he needs like guidance he needs a father figure right <laughs> and Sp- splinter becomes a father to danny for a little bit too yeah so casey's there also he followed him there yeah oh um, i love the when uh is it donatello that says casey's claustrophobic and in case he gets upset but he doesn't know what claustrophobic means yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he assumes that he, he's calling him like a homo <laughs> i've never even looked at a guy before <laughs> no man you're afraid of small spaces <laughs> you're claustrophobic like, what <laughs> that's a funny joke today even though it's like a gay joke because it shows it, his ignorance exactly yeah. yeah he's an idiot for not knowing the difference and he's all like the joke is at his expense for for being homophobic being slightly homophobic also exactly <laughs> everyone's like no you dumbass <laughs> like no no it means you're scared of enclosed spaces <laughs> and he's like <laughs> no i just want to sleep in the truck instead yeah. and he's in the truck and he's like Fuck, and he rose on the window. <laughs> I, I love that he didn't know he was claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. He's probably been sleeping, like, in the park for years. <laughs> probably is homeless, actually. So Casey steals a foot outfit. Again, Casey's follow him there. He steals right. a foot outfit. As Danny drops his headband with Shredder's symbol on the floor, Shredder finds him. That part actually scared me. <laughs> uh, about you. But I was like, oh, fuck, this is not good for him, because he... In that moment where he rejects Shredder, Shredder literally walks into the room and sees it. Right. Like, he could have just been like, all right, fuck you, and stabbed him. Like, I, that's... I, I've, Shredder does I, nothing to him. Yes. But had I not seen this movie before, I would have been like, oh, he's going to murder you right here. And just for that. Um, so Casey and Danny try to save Splinter. Casey fights Tatsu. He gets beat up pretty easily, but finds a golf club amongst all the stolen goods. He hits Tatsu with it. Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, I'll never call golf a dull game again. <laughs> That's how you know he wasn't a golfer. He was not a golfer. Sam Rockwell tries to stand up to Casey, but no one joins in. Splinter and Casey make light that this isn't a family. They're a brainwashed cult. Oh, yeah. Sam, Rock- Sam Rockwell is the one that goes, this is our family. Yeah. I like that part a lot because it's what we were saying earlier that Casey's like, you think this is a family? You like, think that's, your that's family? family? And he points out like a passed out tattoo who beat them all up earlier. He's yeah. like, this isn't family, dude. Like, <laughs> Get your shit together. I love the moment where Casey walks in and sees Splinter for the first time. And he's just like, 
Uh, yep. That's a huge rat chained to a fence. Um, okay, cool. Where are the keys? Let's get them out of here. <laughs> Everybody, like, takes it... All the good guys seem to take it really well that they're seeing, like, these giant animals and they're just fine with it. Yeah. One fair is, like, he'd been living with like, the turtles for a while. He like, knew who like, Splinter yeah. was. This is weird, but you know what? All right. But he's seeing Splinter for the first time. He's like, that's a giant rat. Cool. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the turtles fight the foot as a foursome and are better prepared. The fight leads up to a rooftop where they fight until the Shredder shows up. They don't know who he is and take turns fighting him one-on-one. Mikey exclaims, at exactly what point did we lose control there? Because <laughs> they're all quipping. They're having fun yeah. fighting the foot. And then the Shredder shows up. They're quipping still. But then like a few minutes later, like, okay, we're not winning this yeah, fight And anymore. they're all huddled up talking to each other. Shredder's just standing there in the background, like, waiting. Yeah. Also, so- they attack him. One by one. Okay. So this is something that has always kind of bothered me. And this last time watching, I'm like, it makes more sense having read the comic book now because this is a fight for honor and they, it would be dishonorable for them to gang up on him. Okay. So they fight one on one. So they want it to be like a duel. It's a one-on-one fight. Exactly. Okay. And they, in the comic, they fight one-on-one also. Like that's just what they do. Exactly. And it's, I think Raphael that gets the better of him and like stabs him. (laughs) 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 Comic is dark. Uh, so I think that's what they were kind of trained to do is, you know, fight one-on-one. Right. But they continue to fight until Shredder puts a blade to Leo's throat. He claims Splinter is dead just as Splinter arrives and explains who he is and who the Shredder is to the Turtles. So this is the part where, like I said, they had left this out until now. Now he's like, this is a Rokusaki. You know, he's the one that killed my master. There he is. Shredder recognizes the rat that scarred his face and removes his mask. He charges in anger. Splinter uses a nunchuck and spins Shredder off the ledge. This was also really good. <laughs> this was ridiculous. So, <laughs> he I, just... <laughs> well, he didn't see. Because he, he's charging in, a, in pure anger at right. this point. And which is probably the reason he had been winning the fight up until now because he was calm and, and collected. And then Splinter just basically parries him. Exactly. Yeah. He like pulls a nunchuck, tours it around. So now he's holding him by the same blade that shredder has but now he's holding him off the ledge of a building shredder tries to throw a dagger at splinter splinter catches it and drops shredder just as he was saying death comes for us all but when you die it will be without honor okay this part's kind of fucked up shredder falls into a garbage truck which casey then activates i did they just smash him yeah i mean (laughs) i i love i love this scene for so many reasons for one, there seems to be a running gag in this that nobody takes Splinter's lecture seriously. They just constantly interrupt him. Right. <laughs> because at this point, Splinter is lecturing Shredder. And Shredder just tries to kill him. And Shredder, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he and like right as he's talking, he interrupts him by trying to throw a dagger at and him. And so by catching he, he drops catches him. And he's, he drops him. After he's down, he's like, and he finishes his sentence. He's like, without honor. <laughs> so I again, I love this for a couple reasons. Casey's the one that has no qualms with murdering this guy. So he's like, sweet. <laughs> Activates the compactor in the yeah. truck. <laughs> and just like squashes him or whatever. Like, Jesus Christ. But in the comic, because this is all mostly based on the first issue of the comic, the fight ends on the, on a rooftop just like this. And it's mm-hmm. a four turtles up against Shredder. But the difference is in that comic, earlier in the issue, Splinter explains who Shredder is. And he basically says, I've been training you for this moment your whole lives. For you to go kill the Shredder. Like, this is what your life's purpose is. Right. So go kill the Shredder for me. And the 
turtles go and they go to kill the shredder but it's all about honor so they they want to beat him fair right they do fight him one-on-one Raphael ends up stabbing him and when he's down they give him a chance to kill himself and seppuku (laughs) (laughs) to which uh shredder like says no pulls out a grenade and then they like kill him or they knock him off the building and then the grenade goes off or something like that right so this being kind of first issue that's the first issue you should read it's good it's very dark (laughs) again they're like here commit suicide (laughs) well this was the first issue written as like a parody of daredevil right yeah so it's also very much inspired by like frank miller's work yeah it's supposed to be dark okay there's very little gags in it. It's not like the I, funny I, no, Ninja Turtles. Not Cowabunga or anything that. like That's that. That's all from no. the TV show. Yep. But at this point, when they're making a movie, they're they're trying to like marry the two, and I think it's a very good balance of both. No, I, I think it did a good job. Yeah, of both like uh, the you know this darker comic and like this very lighthearted you know TV series. And here they want to do the scene from the end of the comic, but also kind of like make it less dark and shit. <laughs> Is that less? Yes, because they're they're fighting Shredder, not because of a grudge. You oh, know, they're not out to murder Shredder like they are in the comic. They just want to stop him. They want to get Splinter back. Right. That's what they're fighting for. They're still honorable. They fight him one at a time. You know, they take turns. <laughs> and then at the point when Shredder has Leonardo's throat uh, up against his blade, they all drop their weapons. They drop their weapons, just as like Shredder said to. And Shredder's the one who goes, "You guys are fools. You could have." beat me if you had all attacked together now you're gonna die you would have just sacrificed one it would have been you would have lost one but you would have three of you would have survived is what he says something like that he's like now you'll share his fate and then he tries and you all die exactly but then splinter shows up so the movie's already showing he's the one with the dishonorable one yeah because my thing is like in that comic book it's kind of like who's telling the story It's, it's almost like a he said she said they're both like you're the dishonorable one i'm the honorable one but they're all assassins so who do you believe? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, whereas in this, it's very clear cut. <laughs> and they kill him because he's the one who attacked. Splinter gets to like, quote unquote, kill him without trying to kill him. <laughs> it's a very clever way of kind of getting yeah. out of that predicament. And then Casey's the one who's like, fuck it. <laughs> Murder this guy. So I think all this is well done is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's just crazy that in like a, a kid's movie, they're going to use a trash compactor to literally kill someone. Yeah, there's a lot of problematic things in this movie. <laughs> if it's if it's truly intended for children, there's some problems here. So Danny returns April her $20 bill. His dad finds him. Danny tells him he goes by Dan now. <laughs> um, I, you know what? It's a small thing, Call but again. Dan. And then he's like, oh, son. <laughs> yeah, but it is a nice kind of like, how do you tell a whole thing in just one line? You right. know, he's like. Oh no no no! Don't call me Danny. My name. I want to go by Dan, just because you know he's be going. More, he's more going mature. through a change. Dad doesn't get it. All in one line, you know. Yeah, he had the whole city looking for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Charles gives April her job back with a raise. Sam Rockwell tells the chief where to find the warehouse. Casey and April kiss. The team try one last time to come up with a catchy one-liner, and Splinter suggests Cowabunga. And then he says, "I made a funny." I made a funny. <laughs> QMC Hammer. <laughs> I love how when uh, April and Casey kissed, all four turtles were just like, yeah, go Casey. I, yeah, they were, they cheer- were like cheering on their bro. I feel like they were cheering on like the two of them getting together this whole time. Like they knew. Right. 
I love that Mikey and Donatello specifically are like workshopping puns the entire movie. And then Splinter's like, what about Cowabunga? And then they're like, yeah, Cowabunga. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is obviously a throwback to the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. from the cartoon. Yeah, so that's the movie. I just... What do you think? How do you like it? I can't... Re- I don't got to read on you right here. <laughs> I, li- I liked it. it was, you liked it? It's enjoyable. I mean, I'm not going to say it's my favorite movie. But I also don't have that same connection to it that you do. But it is a good movie. I think it did a good job balancing, you know, whatever um, darker stuff they were getting from the comic book. Yeah. And then some of the lighter stuff that they got from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of bringing it together. This was probably the best case scenario. Absolutely, it. yeah. yeah. It, this could have been a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It is this perfect marriage, I think, of the two vastly different source material right it's right this 80s cartoon show which is very kind of kid-friendly very light-hearted and like the very kind of dark comic they don't even book. Re- really use their weapons that much in the cartoon well they fight a lot of robots um in the cartoon <laughs> the foot soldiers are robots that way that's they... their way of getting around violence mm-hmm. that's how yeah. they can use uh their very sharp weapons <laughs> because <laughs> you can't use them on people you can you'll kill them well which is why yeah <laughs> you can't use them on people in a cartoon in the 80s exactly <laughs> no i think this is a great movie like the more i watch it the more in love with it i am i want to break this down we're in the analysis and i want to break this down kind of chunk by chunk first of all the puppets the the costumes jim henson's creature shop it, they're it, good it's amazing like, like it's I, amazing I when it comes to like the emotions and stuff, the faces do look a little weird sometimes, but also it's a puppet. So but I don't, it, there's not really that much that you can expect okay. from that. So many things here. Number one, this is not a big budget movie. This was a no, very low an, budget movie. I think this was an independent film. It was an independent film. This was this was made on $13 million. Even back then, it was not a lot of money. Obviously, Jim Henson is the way to go. Like the best in the business. It's incredible. First of all, the stunt work in this movie is incredible on its own, much more so that they're in these suits with giant backpacks on, basically. Yeah. The fact that any of these stunts work is awesome. But the suits, I mean, they look they look amazing. Like the the way how expressive they are, the fact that they're so mobile, the fact that you don't like if you look for it, you can see the seams. Like you can yeah. see where I mean, and they're so well built because most of you know where the costumes come together are hidden by by the shell by their elbow pads and knee pads you can kind of see where like the heads fit onto the shoulders a little bit you can see like like where they would put their masks off you know yeah and if you look closely by the way you can see the actor's mouths inside of the character's mouth i didn't notice that you have to look for it the um, mouths on I the costumes do open like really wide though yeah and so. if you and if you look you can see like the actor inside <laughs> apparently <laughs> uh, i i've noticed it in a couple shots but it's not a big deal how do they operate that glad you asked uh <laughs> each and this is another kind of thing about this each character is essentially brought to life by four different people there was an actor in the suit uh like a stand-in actor there's a stunt man for all the action scenes in suit there's a puppeteer who's working basically the facial expressions with like a you know a remote control okay so it was like a remote control puppet right yeah and then there's um the voice actor on top of that so all four of actors sorry all four characters would have four people except for Raphael because the voice actor wanted to be the guy in the suit 
<laughs> so for Raphael, that guy was in the suit and then did the voice work also. Who was Raphael? His name is... Kind of one of the turtles is voiced by Corey Feldman. Donatello is voiced by Corey Feldman. From the Goonies. Correct. Corey Josh. Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman was Josh Donatello. Pies. Pies. Yeah, so he is He both... wanted to be in the suit. Yeah, he's both in the suit and he's the voice. Huh. He wanted to be in it. Yeah. Which is in kinda... the movie. I mean, there's no reason not to. Yeah. But I guess he's like... This is more work for you. Save but... more money for the... Yeah. So yeah, the splinter suit is incredible. Is there somebody in that suit, or is yeah. that actually a puppet? No, I think there's someone in there. Okay. There's also a scene where he like lights a match. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty bold, because all that shit's flammable. Yeah. And you're just kind of really kind of like showing off how good you got this. It's a little like, scary, actually. You. <laughs> The part where they're like slicing pizza and they're eating, like, there's just so many things that you'd think this is something that I would avoid doing in a costume like this, and they're doing it, you know. Yeah, plus, that's not even mentioning all of the um stunt work, right? Oh, yeah, all the fighting that they did in it. Oh my god, there's something about how like their faces look, it's something like the inverse of Uncan- Uncanny Valley where you want to buy into it. And I think it's that's why you go with Jim Henson because like there He's good at that. Exactly. Because of all the creatures that, you know, they've come up with, you know, in in movies and Star Wars and in the T V shows, like in Muppets and Sesame Street and yeah. all this shit. But like it's it's a smirk that they have that is like somehow relatable and I what I think it is is that he looks they all look like Kermit the Frog. Okay. I don't know if you get that. There's a, a way in the the way their mouths are shaped is very Kermit. And I know Kermit is a hand puppet, but the actor who's been doing Kermit for God knows how long, the way he, you know, and that's credit to him, the way he works that puppet is so kind of believable. It has, like, lifelike movement. Yeah. He has certain, like, facial expressions that he does with Kermit, and I feel like they use that as a basis when they created these puppets because there's sometimes when they kind of smirk, and you're like, you kind of project your, what? emotion onto the puppet do you know what i mean yeah it's it's so well designed the fact that these are humanoid turtles but you still buy into them being on screen with these live action actors yeah and you buy into them being real somehow i don't know if it's because you watch the the cartoon they look enough like the cartoon but they also look like i don't know they look like they could be real even though it's absolutely ridiculous yep i know what you mean because you compare that to like the 2014 cgi one which is like Kind of, that's way in the uncanny valley where you're like, this is CGI. They also, like, yeah, their faces CGI. were also kind of creepy looking. They're actually, and we'll get into those, but those are based off of uh, a particular artist in the comic book that okay. made them more kind of rounded and less kind of big on the bottom and smaller on top or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, it's quite the testament of like how well these puppets are designed that you just see them and you're just instantly like, yep. Those are the Ninja Turtles. What more is there to... You know what I mean? Yeah. The action is incredible. And I want to carry that into the cinematography, too, of this this movie. There is only one time, I think, where they kind of resort to doing a quick cut. And that is when Raphael does a flip over Casey Jones. Okay. They they do, like, a slow-mo to kind of fill the space. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh. Yeah. Because there's a lot going on well, and physically that's also very difficult to do exactly yeah uh right but other than that i feel like all the action is in camera 
Yeah, you actually see like blows like connecting. Yeah, they're not really connecting usually, but it's like uh, like WWE, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love the cinematography in general. I think is well done. There's so much being told through visuals, and we talked about that earlier on. But a lot of people complain that this movie's too dark. Like literally, it's dark. It is literally. Dark. I mean, this yeah. is clearly on a soundstage. Uh, a lot of most of us filmed on a stage in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Like all the scenes in New York, it had that very um, that same kind of feeling from like the the Batman movie, where like you see like you know the city hall of Gotham. You're like, this is a soundstage. That's not a real city. I did kind of get that vibe a little bit. I think this is it, this way looks better. better than it that. It looks better, but I I got that yeah. same feeling. I'm like, oh, because they like, they filmed a little bit on location, but for the most part, they filmed yeah and. In I feel like most of the North dark Carolina. city stuff, I was like, this is like a soundstage. I felt like it was at a real place. Really? Maybe not literally New York City, but like, I don't know, the parts of Raphael's on, in a park. I'm like, that's a park. That's not a stage. Right. No, I, I, or on the I sidewalk. I'm more or... of like, um, the best example, I guess, would be like the kind of like the last scene of the movie where like after the rooftop fight and they're all just standing in the street talking. Okay, maybe. I'm like, that's that's a stage. But it's it's not like it's a very well because Batman eighty nine the whole thing takes place on one block and you can tell yeah that's my problem with that movie. Th- this one has different locations yeah yeah I but I do appreciate how it's filmed I like how it seems like they're kind of like embracing a kind of a noir style where half the shot composition is always in black in shadow well isn't the comic in black and white well yes but also like they you know these are the Ninja Turtles they operate in the shadows. Yeah. And so instead of filming a lot of it in the daytime, they're filming a lot in the nighttime. This is a movie where back in the day, I used to only have to, you know, when I watched it as a kid, I would make sure to watch it in a dark room because you so wouldn't. you could see. You can't see if you're not watching in a dark uh, room. Especially on those older TVs. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Nowadays, you, you can uh, if you have a good TV. And you so, don't have like glare coming off your TV. Yeah. yeah. So like on my TV, I have an OLED. So like the blacks are perfectly black all the time. That's the best case scenario to watch this movie on. Yeah. But if you watch on basically any other TV, yeah, it might be a little bit difficult. Like, it's fine. You don't make movies so that they can be watched on TV. You know what I mean? Right. And you make movies so that it looks good one time. And if you can't replicate that, that's your own fault, basically. Okay. You know what I mean? Nolan. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you got on, like, Like the cinematography analysis? and stuff? Yeah, like... We can move on to the themes because I'm not a huge like, I don't have an eye for like cinematography really. Okay, but the themes I could definitely talk about. Like, yeah, fatherhood. Yeah, like, they definitely hit you over the head with it in this movie. I feel like. I mean, for being such a short, it's an hour and a half. I feel like it's almost hard to hit you over the head on something in an hour and a half. But yeah, go ahead. Well, all right. So we have Splinter being the father figure for the turtles, obviously. But I believe they mentioned that Splinter's their father multiple times in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you have April with her, I assume, dead father. Yeah. No, she says basically. She says he's dead, yeah. right? Where, like, you know, obviously there's some tragedy and she's, like, still kind of holding on to it. Yeah. And then, like, Leo relates to that in a way. You have Danny and his father. <laughs> yeah. Who are having issues. Right. Which they do reconcile in the end. And then you have Shredder, who claims to be the father of the entire Foot Clan. There's a lot, and we talked about it while we were talking about the plot, there's a lot of just fatherhood stuff going on in this movie. And it is it is directly mentioned a lot. Yeah. But 
that being said, I do think the themes are explored very well. You know, because the Turtles, they don't outright say that they love Splinter, but you see it in their actions and their reactions to, like, what's going on. You know, like, they're heartbroken when he's yeah. when he goes missing. They're heartbroken when he talks to them, and it kind of seems like it's his last message to them. Yeah. You actually see Mikey start crying. Mikey, the funny one. Yeah. So that's explored really well. And then you've got April with the antique shop. She actually has some dialogue about it, and that's also explored well. Danny and his dad, that's kind of the plot. It, in a weird way, that's kind of the plot of the movie. Because Danny's moving the plot forward constantly. Yeah, and he a lot is of the character that moves yeah. the plot. And then Splinter, obviously, who's a terrible father. What? Not Splinter. Shredder. Shredder, oh, okay. Shredder yeah. who's a terrible father. I've made that mistake My before. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, Shredder is a terrible He's father. He's the best dad in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, like the fatherhood themes are definitely there. Family. The turtles kind of bring April and Casey into their family. Mm-hmm. More so April than Casey, I think. Casey does have get that brotherhood bond with a few of the turtles as well. A little bit, yeah. And maybe mostly at, Donnie. He's kind of a one-dimensional character, Casey. Right. It's not clear what his bit is in this, but no, it, he, he, he has nice moments. To, no, absolutely, and it is nice to think that maybe the turtles are filling in something for him too. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like he has a family. Exactly, like he's finding family yeah. in these moments as well. Yeah. And then, obviously, the Foot Clan is this dysfunctional family that's... Yeah. So, what's your point? Do you think it's too much? It's explored well, but it is... There's a lot of it, I guess, is Uh what I would say. So, yeah, maybe a little bit too much. But that could also be because the movie's so short that it just feels like there's a lot. Because, you know, hour and a half, that's TV movie length. These Captain America movies were yeah, like an yeah. hour and a half. No, sure. That's what, that's kind of my point. I feel like it, it's hard to feel like you've been beat over the head because the movie's short, well, you know? I, I think it being short is why I felt beat over the head. Okay. I, that's, I'm i not saying it's a bad thing, though. I don't know what my rant is. It's okay. not even a rant. No, sure. <laughs> I'm just kind of going on. <laughs> I think that, no, I think the fatherhood stuff and the brotherhood stuff, that's clearly the themes of the movie. Right. And I think it's very well done. Because you can watch this movie and, and be like, hey, like it's the Ninja Turtles. And you can never think about that. You know, I think it's what when kids watch this, they don't give a shit. They don't give you know? a shit about family. Exactly. <laughs> but I think these themes are important because what I wanted to carry this into is who's the target audience for this movie? And I don't Ooh. think it's kids. And I don't think it's adults. If I could be specific, I think it's teenagers. Huh. I think this is the only Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle property that is specifically aimed at teenagers. Because the comic's aimed at adults. Exactly. And you would think, at face value, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who is this for? You'd think teenagers, right? (laughs) Yeah. But... But most of their... It's for kids. Yeah. Cartoons, all for kids. Right. Video games, kids. Yeah. Most of the movies, kids. Kids. Yeah. Except for this one, maybe. But (laughs) specific... Because a lot of times when you see things... You know, properties that are teenage based, they're not really for teenagers who they are are for like middle school age kids because kids always want to their kind of escapism is older kids. They look forward to being older. Right. Yeah. And so, that's a huge mistake. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> stay young forever. But think about like some of these kid shows. Think of like iCarly. Was iCarly for the age range that the character of Carly was? No. No. It was for younger. Yeah. Think about Victorious. Was that for high school age kids? No. It was for kind maybe, of... Maybe. <laughs> maybe. 
maybe, but I feel like it's more for middle school age kids. Okay. I feel like every time you have a kids show whose characters are a certain age, it's tailored for the age group slightly below them. Yeah, I definitely see that. Hey, come in. I have a question for you. Uh, we were just talking about this. Do you think that kids shows with characters in them of a certain age are made for that age or are they made for a younger age? The so examples f- we gave. Were- so, for example, the example I gave was iCarly. Is that show for kids the age of the character of Carly or is it made for an age younger? Um, Can you say it into the mic, please? Yes. <laughs> That's close enough. Uh-oh. I think those shows are made for those ages and younger. And all ages, really, because I like iCarly. Okay, I know, but what what's the target <laughs> age? Because I think what I'm saying is like kids their form of escapism is to be older so like think of like the show victorious they're all like seniors in high school they're all like 17 years old they are or like 16 or something i don't know what age they are yeah same (laughs) but is that show targeted for 16 year olds or is it targeted for 13 year olds it's probably targeted for a younger audience that's what i'm saying yeah even though they slip some uh edgy stuff in there yeah that show is actually for adults (laughs) (laughs) wait did birdo agree with you or disagree we just started talking about yeah, it. Oh. it. It was more of a conversation. It wasn't really a agree-disagree thing, but it can be. I agree. Okay. So and my point <laughs> is, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for, by the characters being teenaged, I don't think the target audience needs to be teenagers. I think no. they're I think they're younger kids. It's for sure because younger kids, kids want to pretend to be teenagers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. For a kid, a teenager's like the ultimate. That's true. Like they don't want to be adults. Adults aren't cool anymore. Teenagers, that's peak coolness. Teenagers are cool. They're not. They're so cool. They're not cool. They're not. Yeah, secretly, <laughs> they're not that cool. They're not guys. that cool. They're just as lame. So my point is, I think this is the only iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that is specifically for teenagers, because the target audience is Danny. Danny is like the key demographic here. It's these kids that are like going through their first like emo existential crisis right they don't know whether to rebel and i I love the part where uh casey junk's like he sees Raphael and he's like are you a punker i hate punkers because that's when like punk became a thing (laughs) it's weird that casey would hate punkers casey's kind of a punk are they actually called punkers i mean back in the 80s maybe in the 80s like real punkers like with you know huge mohawks and like me. No, oh, yeah, not like you here. with your Big huge poser. mohawk. No, I was such a poser. Get out of here, poser. Right. No, but I'm saying I, I think it's this is for teenagers because this is like kind of what they're going through. Like they don't quite understand like who's my family? Should I be doing crimes? It's more relatable to them. It's about family, but it's not watered down for like, hey, kids. Right. Here's what family is about. No, it's about, hey, youths, like adolescents. It's like, hey, your parents probably do love you. Yeah. <laughs> and here is the benefit of being a part of a family. A real family. A real family. And like being part of a brotherhood. You right. know, not not like a weird brotherhood. <laughs> like Not like a cult. Not like a cult. Yeah. Like, like you're like, actual like, brothers. Yeah. That's why I said earlier I love this juxtaposition of having the Ninja Turtles against Danny, who is like this only child with no mom. And he's clearly missing something in his life. And he turns to a cult. A crime organization that says that it's a bit of an family. extreme term, but it's yeah. The, there's similar stories of kids that join gangs and stuff. So that, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. I know a kid who joined a gang and now he's 
a murderer. So oh, there's a thing. Cool. Anyway, that's not a. It's not cool. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but Splinter's here, you know, raise these four brothers who feed off each other in a real brotherhood, like a real family. And I think this is this is the kind of story that kids of that age need to be told. Here's the importance of family, you know, and fatherhood and brotherhood. All right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. then the next ones are made for fucking kids. And then after that, they're yeah, made for kids. I mean, and they're, yeah, the they're next toned ones are down more, and, much more on the silly side. Yeah, they don't have these they don't have these like these themes. But overall, this film, I love it. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> it is so earnest. And if I had a major complaint about it is that it's too short. I would want a lot more. I think there's a lot more to explore here. I think they did a great job of making a movie that's an hour and a half. It doesn't feel rushed. It's paced very well. But there's more here. Yeah. For the length of this movie, they do cover a lot. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And they do it in very creative ways. But there's more story to be told here, I feel. Like, I could have spent a lot more time with the Turtles. I would have liked more of this, you know, brotherhood stuff. In the next few movies, I don't think we get that banter between, you know, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo making good jokes. Like, his impressions... (laughs) Um, right there's so much good physical humor that the actors are doing it's just it's very good puppeteering that i'm i'm very curious to see if we see in the next few movies because i don't remember them very well uh, from what i remember the suits don't look as good so in the third movie they use a different company that's the problem okay yeah they abandoned jim henson <laughs> well he's not alive anymore so oh, his company or whatever how did this film do like critically so and at the box office and all that so you know all the stuff we care way too much about when it comes to movies (laughs) actually i'm glad you brought that up because i forgot so this is an independent movie basically a small studio gets financed they Mm -hmm. go make a movie and then they go take it to a film festival okay at the film festival they show it to a bunch of people and then they get bids to like distribute it that's how independent movies work and actually most movies are independent movies it's just not most movies that we watch Okay. <laughs> Most movies out there are independent movies because there's a lot of independent movies that we just don't go and see. And they just like they get picked up by somebody that by a distributor. Okay. And so uh back in the day it was the major six distributors were Sony, Disney, uh Warner Brothers, Universal. M- MGM? Yes, MGM, but they're not one of the major ones. Okay. It was six. What am I missing? Paramount. Oh, Paramount's huge. And Fox? Fox, thank you. 20th Century Fox? 20th Century Fox, yeah. yeah. Those are the six. They've whittled down a little bit because Disney bought Fox. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, And then Sony makes a lot less movies than they used to. Um, I mean, they do a lot of Spider-Man stuff. It's basically all they got. <laughs> <laughs> so this was turned down by all of the major distributors. Only bid that they got was from New Line Cinema. And New Line Cinema at the time was only making low-budget B-movies and horror movies, like Critters. Um, <laughs> and this was is the best decision New Line Cinema can make, because this was a box office explosion. Like, So this was like this one made, of their biggest movies. This made two over $200 million. So oh, that's 19, a lot back then. In 1990, that's Marvel money, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on a $13 million budget. So it got New Line Cinema on the map. Oh, and New Line Cinema brought us classics like Mortal Kombat. Oh, did they really? Yeah. So their two biggest successes is uh, this this movie and Lord of the Rings. They did Lord of the Rings? They did Lord of the Rings. Yeah, New Line Holy Cinema. Holy shit. But yeah, uh, I didn't know that about New Line. 
Yeah. So it's just interesting how that worked out because, and I guess the other thing is one of my favorite things about this movie is that here's a situation where the studio is not overly involved. Fuck. Yeah. Let's make this whatever. And they're letting creatives be creatives, right? Because big problems with the next movies is you can't use your weapons. You can't decapitate anybody. Ugh. You know, can't smash people in a garbage truck. Yeah. (laughs) And I think you get the best movie when you just kind of like, don't put as many limitations on them. Obviously put some limitations. Well, and that's but, what I was saying is that yeah. this is this is, movie is very problematic if it was actually <laughs> intended for children, which I don't believe it is. Right. But because, you know, they, first of all, not only do they have, like, very dangerous weapons, um, you've got <laughs> kids here, like, smoking and, like, joining right. gangs, basically. Even though the moral of this movie is that this is bad. But that's and it's case, not a real family. A lot of Spielberg movies of this era would also be problematic then, too. Like, Goonies. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. But also, he, there's a, there's a character in this movie who's a vigilante, and he uses equipment that all children have access to: baseball bats, <laughs> hockey, and he like, beats sticks, people with them. Yeah, he, yeah, right. Like so. Uh, <laughs> in the next movie, they have their weapons, but they never use them because of this. They're just there to be like their signature weapons. Yeah, yeah. they're also not stabbing like anybody, but they are using their weapons in this movie. Like, there's a shot where uh, Leonardo is fighting a, a foot soldier, and he has two katanas. They're very deadly weapons. You can't use them without cutting someone open. Right. And he's using them in a very specific way so that he's not mortally, like, wounding, wounding them. this person. He's just kind of, like, knocking them over. Like, he's using the he, side of them or something. He's hitting with the side of the blade, yeah. Yeah. Because he's smart, and uh, he's trained to do he's this. He's trained. Just if you actually know how to use a weapon, you also know how to not kill someone with it. Right, exactly. Because, yeah, nunchucks are also very dangerous. Mostly to yourself if you don't know how to use them. Nunchucks are actually um, illegal in a bunch of countries because of Bruce Lee movies. Because he used them a lot. Right. Um, he's always using nunchucks. And so after that, a bunch of countries, like, banned them. Because they thought... It, they, are, it, they are deadly weapons. Well, they're not... I mean, they're obviously not as deadly as, like, swords. But... And you hit somebody in the side of the head with it. <laughs> no, sure. No, sure, sure. There, there's something to be said there. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's move on to Keeper Cancel. Short one because all I got is Sam Rockwell. Corey Feldman, I just, I don't, first of all, I know very little about Corey Feldman. All I know is that he's very outspoken about, um, about like child abuse in Hollywood. Yes. But he also has several abuse allegations against him. Which also. is interesting. Uh, so <laughs> it's almost, it's in the territory where I'm like, I don't, it's I almost, don't want it. it's almost too real. It. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's one of those where there's a saying that I don't know, but it's it's basically like it's almost like a who smelt the delta thing. You okay. know, <laughs> that's not the right. You know what I'm saying? It's because he's so <laughs> outspoken about like you know he says he was raped when he was a kid, and then he yeah. accused uh fucking Charlie Sheen of raping someone back when they were in a movie together in the early '80s. They were like young, right? But then he has several allegations later on about himself. It's like. I don't. I almost at don't that wanna, point, it's like, what the hell do you believe? I don't want to touch any of that. Is yeah. my point. It's messy. Plus, I don't really know him very well. <laughs> Sam Rockwell, however, I think that's someone we should talk about. I think he's cool. I forgot that he was in the Green Mile. Who was he? In he's the, Green? the shitty one. First of all, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of his first roles. Oh shit! Uh, which makes sense because he looks like he's eighteen. Yeah, he look. He looks like a kid. <laughs> in the Green William Mile, William Wild Bill Wharton. Yeah. He's the other inmate, the one that's like crazy and has like, uh, is he the one with the rats? 
No, that's a different guy. That's a different guy. Yeah. He's I like never the saw, really bad one. I never one. saw the movie. I only read the book. You've never seen Green Mile, the movie? I've only read it. Oh, fuck. It's, it's a very good, it's a really good book. Movie. He's the one that like is actually evil. And then they like they kill him at some point in the movie, I think. Does he get does he get executed or does he get yeah. killed? Okay. He was in obviously Iron Man too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he's Assassination one of the better of... parts of that movie, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Justin Hammer, he's fantastic as Justin Hammer. Uh Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. It's a good movie. Cowboys and Aliens, that's on our list. We're gonna come back Ooh. to that. Obviously Iron Man two, like you said. Jojo Rabbit. Vice, he played George Bush. Oh. That's the one Wait. with... Um, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one with... Uh, that's the movie about Dick Cheney. Yes. Yeah. With... Uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Thank you. Christian Bale's Dick Cheney and fucking Sam Rockwell's yeah. George Bush. Well, because they're all in like heavy prosthetics, too. Yeah. I want to watch that movie. I forgot that existed. Me, too. But in uh, Jojo Rabbit. See Jojo Rabbit? I didn't see it. You haven't seen it? No. So good. Oh my god! I, really I want to see it. it. Fuck! You should watch it. It's really good. I was, ah, oh, damn it! I was gonna have this whole thing about how Hitler with you. Oh, uh, man. There's a scene in that movie where, uh, first of all, Sam Rockwell's character is great in that movie. Is he one of um, the Nazis? He's a Nazi. Okay. But he's also a, like a closeted gay Nazi, and then oh, he kind of well, like not accepted. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and he has a slight redemption arc towards. In the movie. I mean, spoilers, but whatever. There's a scene in that movie where um, he walks into a room and then they're they're being... Uh, fuck, we're the, the SS, the secret police? Yeah. Specifically... The Gestapo. The Gestapo, thank you. They're all hiling Hitler because that's how they would have to greet each other. Right. And they're like, how Hitler, how Hitler. Every person goes down the line, they're like, how Hitler, how Hitler, how Hitler, how Hitler. And then someone else comes in the room and they're like, ha Hitler, ha Hitler, ha Hitler, ha Hitler. Oh, like they have to repeatedly yeah. do it? <laughs> And the more the, I mean, it's such a good movie. It's Taika Waititi. The more the movie does, and the more they're like making fun of this ridiculous concept of like how it, they had to like. It is ridiculous. Hail their heel, their leader every single time. Every they, time they, they greet someone, exactly. Yeah. Good movie though. <laughs> I should, I, um, I gotta check it out. So back on on what you were saying, Iron Man two. I feel like Sam Rockwell. The reason he's a great actor is because he's a slimy looking dude. He is. And he's typecasted a lot of times as the slimy looking. Just kind of greasy guy, right? Backstabbing um, asshole. Yeah. And that works really well in this movie because he's like the lead greasy looking. Well, he team literally looks greasy member. in this movie. Yes. Um, I think he looks cool. He's greasy in a lot of pictures or in a lot of movies. Green Mile, like we said. But in Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2, he is like this executive, so he's very clean cut. But there's still a His level personality of personality is very greasy. Yes, but there's still that's why he's perfectly casted because there's still a level of greasiness that he just brings on even when he's clean cut, which makes Justin Hammer such an interesting character. And he just steals the scene when he's in it. Absolutely, that's my <laughs> point. Is like he's trying to be a Tony Stark, but he can't because he's so fucking greasy and bad, right? <laughs> but had you casted anyone else in that role, it might have been charming. Like, if you had put, like, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's charming and handsome, and you put him in that role, and you, you might like him. You're not supposed to like But you're him. not supposed to, exactly. Right. So you cast a man like Sam Rockwell, who can play this part, but also, just he's just still greasy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't fully buy into it. You don't trust him. And he almost him. has a level of, like, patheticness. Yeah. At least, at least in the Justin Hammer role. Right. Good actor is all I'm saying. He's, he's a good actor. Have you seen Moon? 
Yes, back when it came out, though. I so thought, it's been a while. Were you here when we? I, I made Sable and Summer watch, and they hated it. No, that's a good movie. A bit, though. That movie's not for everybody, though. I guess I thought it was <laughs> when I was like, "Hey, we should watch this movie." I had been pushing this movie for years on these people, and finally one day I was like, "This is it. It's happening." That was directed by Duncan Jones. Yep, Duncan Jones. Uh, that yeah. was, I think this was like his breakout hit. Yeah, and then he directed Warcraft, which I enjoyed a lot, but a lot of people didn't. Oh, you didn't? I thought it was fine. I, I liked it. Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping. I, I, I liked it. And I'm, that's coming from someone who knows nothing about World of Warcraft. Oh, you weren't like Warcraft. totally confused by it or anything. No, I think they did okay. pretty good. I thought so too. Yeah, I thought they did a good job, like bringing in newcomers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people were just like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I hate this. I mean, I like if it. you pay attention to a movie, it usually tells you what you need to know. And you that know movie I mean? does tell you what you need to know. You lo- do need to pay attention, though. <laughs> I love Moon. I think it's a good movie. Moon's good. Uh, spoiler for Moon. It's a movie about a guy who's sent up to the moon to do a very like mundane like job. So they send this guy on a two-year shift to do this job. And towards the end, he starts getting really sick and sweaty and greasy, which is why he's perfect for it. <laughs> greasy motherfucker. And then he realizes, because another one of him shows up that he might be a clone yeah uh, and that these clones they die basically they expire after two years so that they tell these clones they're also on rockwell they tell them that like you're going to be there for two years and then you get to get home to your family and he has pictures of his family and oh recordings. man and they also tell him that you can't call home because the satellite's down so then he's a little sketchy oh it sucks so he goes <laughs> and like fixes a satellite and then he realizes that like he calls home and then he he's, answers it. He's there. He's not. He realizes he's not the original. And he's working with the new one. And the new one's like all crisp and fresh. And he's all like sweating and coughing and shit. It's good movie. Yeah. Does a good job going into the whole like not ethics of like clones and stuff. But like like how would a clone feel? It's a very interesting way of like looking at. If they found at, out they were a clone. Yeah. It's a very interesting way of looking at your mortality. Yeah. And you're like what's the human experience about like what is my purpose on you know in life another thing that i want to say that the clone wars show explores really well maybe i'm not there yet (laughs) the whole like well i was gonna say invincible like being like um maybe not the mortality part of it but the whole like knowing that you are a clone of somebody else but you're still in a weird way an individual okay yeah but it's like a weird area there yeah I i like the one the the one that defects Early on. Oh, and he like, has his own some, little family, his family and stuff. And yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you're you're going against, like, your purpose. And he's like, I'm living my life. And he's like, I'm a, I'm a person. Like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm not fighting this war anymore. No, I, I like the idea of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Invincible because they have those clones. Yeah. Yeah, you finished The clone yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they just keep cloning each other? They keep other. cloning each other and they never know which is the original. And they argue, and they argue about, about it. Yeah. But they do it on purpose because later on he reveals... We can't know who's the original and who's the clone. Otherwise, it'll fuck everything up. Yep. So they purposefully stay in the dark. And they do have like a little moment there where it's like knowing you're a clone kind of fucks you up a little bit. Right. There is a moment in that (laughs) show where someone gets cloned. Going in, he doesn't know if his consciousness will be the one that survives or the clone. Right. Or the clone of the one that's going to die. I think the concept is like it's like copied over. Yeah, exactly. So one person just awakens... And the other person is still in the original body. It's a lot like they do it in um, Prestige. The Prestige. Prestige, yeah. 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 Where he keeps cloning himself and he never knows if he's going to be the clone or he's going to be the original. Because he keeps killing the clone. Yeah. In his magic trick. 
Which is fucked. And it's fucked because he doesn't know if when he wakes up, he's going to be the one with the gun or the one in the tank. Also, like, just that idea that, like, yeah, you're a clone, but you still have your own thoughts and feelings. Yeah, you're still, you're still, you're still, you're still the same person. No, specifically the same person. Which is, I can't wrap my head around that. It's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that movie Moon is really good. <laughs> Explores uh, those themes a lot. Anyway, Sam Rockwell, Um, I didn't see the his three billboards outside, outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Didn't see that. It's a long title. <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's apparently a good movie. But I, I, Vice, I want to see, like we said. Again, Jojo Rabbit, check that out. It's a good movie, and he's right. really good in it. He's married to uh, Leslie Bibb, who was also an Iron Man. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she's... I um. I don't know that actor by name. Leslie Bibb, she's the she's reporter. She's the reporter. That yeah. he's that he's trying to flirt with in Iron Man too, <laughs> right? But she slept with uh, Tony, Tony Stark in the first one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she plays uh, Christine Everhart. Yep, she's also in the League a little bit. <laughs> and and <laughs> and uh, Tony Stark's like Brown Berkeley. Ah, so uh, close. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny that they're married. Oh I, I my can god, kind of see it too. I had no idea. She plays a lot of like silly roles too okay cool sam rockwell keep her cancel keep him because he's he's a very good actor easy yeah he hasn't done anything terrible that i know of seems like he just kind of does his job one. yeah like i said i didn't i didn't want to <laughs> yeah, go into a... the whole Corey feldman landmine i don't know really fuck that shit <laughs> also we'd probably end up pissing some people off with that i don't know enough about him to care <laughs> i'm gonna be honest uh so sam rockwell keep that's <laughs> Move on to our next segment. <laughs> Phantom Zone, final thoughts. Oh, absolutely. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I am not sending this into the Phantom Zone. So you I'm like keeping, this movie? Yeah. I do enjoy this movie. And like I said, um, I guess I either was too young when I saw this movie or I didn't see this movie and I only saw like the second and third ones because this felt like I was watching a new movie, which was honestly kind of wonderful. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm glad you like it honestly because yeah. this is a movie where like i said i love this film it's always been hard for me to tell am i being biased or is this movie great you know <laughs> what i mean and i think the more i think about it I, I try to be as objective as possible i think this movie is very good i think so too i, I think this is how you do a low budget especially like superhero movie like this is about vigilantes it has got strong themes they're not overly focused on like, all right, like what's the plotting? What's the action beats? What are, you know what I mean? Right. It's not like some of these movies were like, all right, we're going to reverse engineer from the action set pieces. You know, we got to have Captain America do this thing on this. He's a bad <laughs> example because all his films are great. But we got to have Ghost Rider, we have on Ghost Rider do this thing. He's got to be in his motorcycle. He's got to be with the horse and the thing. How, do, how we do we rever- get there? Exactly. How yeah. do we reverse engineer it? This isn't one of those. It's just very thematically focused, this film. What are the themes? What is the story we're trying to tell? It's about four brothers. It's about fatherhood. It's about family. Okay, how do we get there? Like, that's the focus. And for those reasons, I think this is a great film. I think it holds up because even the dated references are dated in a good way. <laughs> They're referencing the best of the 80s and the 90s, not like the worst. So, like, compare yeah. some of this to, like, say, we saw another movie made in 1990, Captain America, that was much lower budget, probably. <laughs> but that had some of the worst of the time period, I want to say. Even like, though we did also Even though I like that, that movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. But we were, you know, it's that mindset where I'm like, I know this is not going to be a great movie. I still enjoy it. I think it's overall okay. Right. Right? But... 
we were talking about the music in that movie and how bad it was because it was cheap. Yes. And you compare that to the music in this movie, which is fantastic. Why? Because it's good music from the era. It's still music from that era, but it's good music from the era. Right. Even the MC Hammer song at the end. No it, one hates MC Hammer. As fuck as it yeah. is, it's still People good. love MC Hammer. <laughs> you know? The next movie has Vanilla Ice. Not as good. See? See that's that's the that's thing. That's a crazy thing, though. That's the part that's in my brain still is the Vanilla Ice with the Go Ninja, Go, go Ninja, Ninja go. go. Yeah. That's in the next one. But there's a really good MC Hammer turtle rap in this movie. And I think it's called Turtle Rap. I think that's a different song, actually. But look. This is, I think, one of the best representations of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and something that I didn't mention earlier on when we were talking about this. And we have four movies here we're going to cover. Are we doing the animated one? Yes. Okay. Because it's technically part of this franchise, even though it's an animated movie. And I was actually looking it up. It was supposed to get sequels that got canceled. It was getting two more sequels, yeah. So we got a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles talk, so we're going to get into other kind of things or whatever. But this is the franchise that is probably has the most iterations for a single IP. Yeah. Uh, and you can, it maybe competes with Batman and Spider-Man. Who's X-Men? had a lot of, no, I think no. X-Men's fewer. <laughs> really? Uh, this has four TV shows, five TV shows, okay. four cartoons, one live action. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> one, two, three, four, they five, had a crossover six, Power Rangers. Exactly. <laughs> six movies of which are three different iterations. Okay. So what are we at? Nine already? Yeah. No, no, eight plus two different comic iterations. If you want to get into comics, X Men might so, be up there. They have a few TV. They have a few TV shows that you might have forgotten about. They have like three TV shows. There's like there's one called like I think just called Mutants. There's Legion. There. I mean, if you count Legion, Legion's one hundred percent X Men. Okay, sure. It's about Professor Xavier's son. All right, sure. But that's not a reiteration. It's not like you see Professor. Anyway, not not right. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it count. It's a different iteration every like four or five years. Is what I'm saying. Oh, and yeah. film is different than TV. Especially There's once no uh, Nickelodeon crossover. took over, they've rebooted the cartoon. God knows how many times. Right. Yeah. So I originally I wanted I want to say like we should talk about one of the cartoon series every time we do one of these. No time. <laughs> but maybe we next talked a time. little bit about the 1980 cartoon. Yeah, because I, I watched like two episodes for fun. But we'll get into it next week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll watch some of the 2000s cartoons. Yeah, yeah, you should. It's not bad. It's no, honestly pretty that's good. That's the one that's a little bit more edgy too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, overall, absolutely not in the Phantom Zone. This is a movie that holds up, is what I'm saying. Even with its 90s kind of cheesiness, yep. it's not overly cheesy. It is the best of the 90s, in right. my opinion. When I was watching it, uh, Blake actually walked into the room. My friend Blake, for those of you who don't know, um, we were saying, like, this movie looks good for 1990. Like, he thought it would have been, like, late 90s. No, it, that's what we're talking about, the cinematography. Yeah. It's shot so, so well. You can see the effort put into, specifically, like, the block and the shot composition, how everything's lit. Those montages do so much and so little. Some more thoughts on this movie. I think this movie was way better than it had any right to be at the time. No, absolutely. This for like, the budget. Just like think about it. This was based on a very niche comic and also like a fairly popular cartoon aimed at children. And like this was the result. And it was, like I said earlier, the best case scenario that could have happened with this because yeah. this could have been 
one of the worst movies ever. I think it's better than both. I think it's better than the comic and the cartoon. Hmm. I've only read a, just like one issue. I would say I'll it's better more. than the cartoon because the cartoon is, as much as I loved it when I was a kid, it is too kiddie, I think. Have you seen it recently? Not recently. I watched an episode and it's pretty funny. <laughs> There's some jokes that are for the adults. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's a part where uh, they go to, so they do the backstory for Shredder and um, Splinter's master. And the reason Mata Yoshi gets kicked out from the foot in the first place is because uh, Shredder takes a dagger and he puts it on like his shirt to the wall. So when the master comes in, Yoshi can't bow because he's stuck onto the wall. Oh, <laughs> It's so goofy. The- and then so he can't bow. So then he's like, shit, there's a dagger behind me. So he pulls the dagger out. And then the guards are like, he's trying to kill the master. So they grasp him. He's like, no, it's a misunderstanding. And so they go to the master. And he's like, what do you? What should we do? And the master's like, kick that bum out. <laughs> That's what he says. So everyone in the Foot Clan's a fucking idiot. <laughs> but it's intentionally silly, right? Because it's it's made for kids. It, yeah, right. yeah. But some again, some of that humor. I'm like, that's that's for adults. Like, get the bum out of here. I don't know. Kick the, the bum, bum out of here. I thought it's a little bit for for both, but. <laughs> I mean, I think it's silly in a good way is my point. What's the cartoon available on? YouTube. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of those episodes are just on YouTube. Gotcha. I don't know how many, but anyway, back on to... I'm just saying, this is a good movie. Check it out if you've never seen it before, especially. I can't speak for the sequels because I haven't seen them since I was a kid. I'm excited about I think consensus is they get worse as they They, go. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and it's such a shame. I would have loved to see... Because, like I said, this movie needed to be fleshed out a little bit more. I would have loved to see more exploration in this. Like a real continuation of this. Of this. Yeah. Not the kind of dumbed-down versions that we got. So that's a shame. And I hope there is another Ninja Turtles, a new one coming out. I actually just read from Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen, yeah. He's doing a lot of uh, nerdy stuff. Yeah, but it, it will be animated. And I think that's, I think that's dumb because Ninja Turtles and the animation is kind of saturated. Like there's a new cartoon there's enough every five of it years. Already, yeah. Where they're on their fourth cartoon now, you know what I mean? And there was I an know animated you're still gonna TV check show. out this movie. Though. Obviously, I'm gonna watch the movie, <laughs> but I'm saying I'm like they should really explore something in the more live action realm. I'd like to see something in just any other media that goes more like comic book route with the Ninja Turtle. I'd like to see something a bit more, more like this is what I'm saying. Maybe a bit more comic book than this, though. Like, but like some of like the comics edgy, gets edgy. really dark. Though. I wouldn't mind seeing. Have that, you heard though. about the last Ronin? No. I kind of want to tell you about it next week, but you're you're gonna Google it. So the last Ronin <laughs> is a new comic in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the How new, new last few months. Oh, okay. So new. So it's a flash forward series in the Ninja Turtles. Where there's only one turtle left. Oh, It's kind of post-apocalyptic in that sense. So it's like old man Logan? Sort of. Yeah. There's <laughs> one turtle left and you don't know who it is. And he has all the weapons. He has uh, katanas. He has size. Yep. Because okay. they've all died except for him. And you slowly see all the brothers' deaths in flashbacks. So you slowly figure out which one of them it is because he's so jaded uh, you know he's depressed and he's right. out he, he lost his family yeah he's out like trying to avenge his brothers or whatever that you can't quickly identify which of the four turtles it is and that's part of the comic i've heard that's only re- i haven't read this but i've heard really good things um but i also <laughs> feel like you would benefit from like reading some of the idw comic right books. getting to know this 
iteration of the character. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it is essentially like an old man Logan, except if Logan was, you know, if his identity was ambiguous. I, I remember one, of, it was probably like six years ago or so, where like, I think Rocksteady killed Donatello in one of the comics. Wow. But it was also a comic book, so I don't know if he like came back somehow. Probably. But yeah. they like, like cracked his shell open and everything. It was. Jesus. Yeah. These yeah, so, comics are <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I do want to read some of the IDW ones, the new ones. They're, they're making regular ones, too, in addition to The Last Ronin. Right. So it's just like a f- super flash forward. It's almost like a like a limited series. Yeah. yeah. Sounds really good. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I and probably would check it out. I got spoiled. I know which turtle it oh, is. Don't but... tell me because I kind of want to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watching this movie definitely piqued my interest for more uh, turtle stuff. Yeah. Same. Whereas I was kind of like meh about it before not that i i never disliked them or anything it's just like you know i feel like it grown kind of stagnant like i said i saw pieces of each cartoon i'm like they're all good in their own way no i would say none of them are bad i haven't seen the brand new one that just came out like last year with like the really weird animation yeah, style that's the one i'm like least interested in but i saw it, i watched the cgi one from nickelodeon that one was really good and i remember not wanting to watch that one because of the cgi like animation style but it's good like well written and everything yeah. okay i saw the whole first season oh shit as an adult <laughs> like i'm like this was good <laughs> and i should have watched more and it's all on it's probably on paramount plus actually because it's an officially show, a, it's yeah. a nickelodeon it was on cartoon, hulu yeah. but it's probably on paramount now yeah so that's it that's it we we went on these tangents yeah. but um again we have a lot of turtle talk coming so we'll, tr- we'll try to put that where it belongs in the next few episodes yeah but yeah guys thank you so much for listening yeah and anybody who was watching us live thank you for that as well yes again we are live on twitch we record on twitch keep in mind this is live when we're on twitch so we've messed up a bunch of times we took breaks talked about what kind of drinks we were having it's an experience yeah we put my dog my wife showed up all that stuff's gonna get edited out of the final product we refer to the chat when people talk so if you want to be a part of this podcast come on twitch.tv slash i don't know it's in the links in the you know Twitch. where the links are. It's TV linked below. Slash films from PZ. I think that's what that is. <laughs> I think probably. We should figure we, that out. We yeah, we should figure out all of our social media handles. <laughs> yeah, it's films from PZ. Twitch.tv slash films from PZ. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for subscribing. If you subscribe on on your podcast app, thanks to that piano dude for a musical intro. Uh, make sure you guys leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or if you uh, listen to this on YouTube, you can do that shit on YouTube. If that's your preferred way. Yeah, which leads me to my next point. All these episodes are available on YouTube. If that's how you like to listen to podcasts, you can do that. We're there. Right. No video. You can throw us on your TV. Yeah. If you want to see our faces, you got to watch us on Twitch. <laughs> that shit ain't on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram at Films from the Phantom Zone, and you can find us on Twitter at Films from PZ. If you want to yell at us, share your opinion, get into an argument, I would love to do that so much with you on Twitter. <laughs> Please slash thank you for telling a friend. If you've told a friend, if you're like, hey, you know, there's a podcast about that Captain America movie you hate, you should listen to them hate on it. <laughs> that Captain America movie you hate, if you've even seen it. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> yeah, and if, you know, there's a movie that you maybe have heard about and haven't seen guess what we're probably gonna watch it for you actually yeah totally otherwise guys if you like the show if you like what you see you can show on patreon there's no there's nothing on there so right now if you just want to be cool and give us some money you can we'll, we'll figure but, out 
tears eventually. Yeah, yeah, there'll be stuff. Don't you even worry. Other than that, guys, we will see you next week. What movie are we doing next week? I'm assuming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Yes, which Secret is Secret of, of the Yeah. So it's more on their backstory. I think there's some retconning going on in there. Starring uh, Vanilla Ice. Yeah, starring Vanilla Ice. <laughs> also, we are, and you know, flash forward, Keeper Cancel. I don't have a Keeper Cancel, so I thought, got a bunch of interesting people we can talk about. We're going to be talking about Francois Chow. Kevin Nash, Kevin the wrestler? Kevin Nash, the wrestler. Oh, fuck yeah. I figured you'd get excited. We can the talk about Vanilla beef. Ice. We can keep or Vanilla. cancel Vanilla Ice. Oh, shit. I didn't put Vanilla Ice on there. I'm an idiot. I put interesting people. I didn't write Vanilla Ice. <laughs> He's Frank Walker, Kevin Clash. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't even write that down. <laughs> Frank Walker, Kevin Clash, Robbie Wrist. If you don't know who these people are, we're going to get into them. I think they're all the interesting people in lieu of like, one very famous person in this movie. Kevin Nash was in the NWO. He was. <laughs> they were the bad guys, you remember? <laughs> they were the bad guys. <laughs> On that, guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs> see you guys. Bye.